If Murray had supported the show, I'd be less sick of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> America's Blubbity Blah. The Blubbity Blah. Sending out good vibes. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grammar Show. Coming at you, uh, last show from Chestermere. <laughs> oh yeah, right. And then, of course, the show has hasn't been based out of Chestermere the whole time. Oh, it has the whole time, really, like ten and a half years, except for the brief uh, studio I mean, we when we were in the studio. That was on the outskirts. That's still considered Calgary, I think. Yeah, Stanford. kind of in between Calgary and Chestermere, but still pretty, pretty out there. Yeah, and then when, yeah. when was that Brody's for a bit? That was Calgary. Oh my God, if you wonder, count up the places, like two houses, three houses in Chestermere, one studio, Brody's house, so five right there. And then the studio. Or did you already mention that? I said that, yeah. But there was two, wasn't there two studios? Anyways, yeah. And then yeah, it's home been studio. a journey. And yeah. your new home studio, and then my new home studio. Yeah, and then here we are with Mike, of course, who was who was probably when I mean, where what studio were we in? We did this eight eight years ago, almost eight years ago. We we're probably There's in the garage in the igloo. I might. Uh, oh, because we we had two locations in your house. We had your house basement. Remember, we had the walls all full of carpet, and then we had the igloo in the garage. And yeah, that's yeah. when I'm Mercedes crashed through the garage. I might go get the igloo yet. You know? Could happen. I've been meaning to text Brad and see if it's still tarped up out back there. I bet you it is. <laughs> I don't know if I would worry about putting that together. Well, I wouldn't podcast from it, but uh, I could just use Ooh, like a little storage space, you know? Or it would be easier to refrigerate if I wanted to hang meat in there. Or, you know what? Use it for the walls of an underground cave, like cold storage cave. That involved digging a pretty big hole. I mean, that's getting yeah. pretty extensive. I was thinking I could just like slap that bitch back up, drive a few screws in it, and it would be like a, uh, you know, it's like a a room that's easy to heat too. I mean, I don't need it to be heated. I could just, because I don't have, I lose a garage. I have a few sheds and I'll probably get a sea can. But, uh, oh, you lose a garage, yeah. yeah you might want to just buy a sea can and cut it all like use that as a garage, kind of in a way. Yeah, I'm gonna get a sea can, yeah. yeah. But, uh, I also want to build some place to hang my meat and do all that kind of stuff. Now, the only problem with the igloo is it was a little bit of a low ceiling, yeah. To eight hang feet, meat up. eight feet, I think. Eight Oof, feet, I don't maybe. think it was eight, I think it was seven. Oh, maybe, yeah. Yeah, I think but that right. being said, if it was stainless and like uh, you could quarter everything, you know, and hang it from the ceiling if you had some shit built in. But what I would like to do is have something at least eight feet 
Like what I, I was thinking about getting a 20 foot C can and having taken the back like eight feet and, uh, or 10 feet, maybe just put it in half and, uh, cut it out, building a wall in the middle and having like a trolley that comes right out, you know, so I could go right out to the back of my truck, trolley something off and fucking wheel it right in and then have like two air conditioners in the side of it. I think two ACs. Even in like you know, the hot weather, that I think two ACs will get a small space like that. I, everything I'm reading says it'll get it down to four, three or four degrees, which is kind of what I right around where I need. You know, perfect. So, Do you need it in the summer though? Really? I mean, well, I would only turn it on strictly for if I was if for you, when I'm hunting. Yeah, you know, just uh, hey baby, I shot something. Turn on the fucking thing and the rest of the time it's just a room it's, but i would buy like you can buy that like stick on uh, stainless shit you know do it all in that with the coal cut in the floor to drain shit so you can just hose it out you just open those two big doors and pressure wash the whole thing down you know yeah maybe, uh, maybe just a shelf at the back yeah maybe just even an eight by eight one or something they have those small 10 by eight uh those mini c cans too kind of yeah, exactly. Something like that. And then you could like you can dress up the side of that pretty easy, you know? Make it look like a little shed or something. Yeah. That's the only problem with the Z cans kinda. They the but every, everybody's gone. They're all over the place. I mean, I don't know. But you just, so that's a bit of a synchronicity. I was I, I walked to my desk like right before we started recording, thinking about how long the C cat's gonna be in my yard for. I'm like, I'm never gonna get my storage out of there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you have the pods on? No, no. Uh, the can uh, big steel containers. How big is yours? 20, 20 foot. Oh yeah, that's quite a bit of room. Oh yeah, you can almost like a garage. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because my garage ain't twenty feet long, man. There's no way. My garage is probably like it's probably twenty feet wide. It's probably twenty feet wide by like twelve feet. You know, so you don't have a garage in the new place, eh? No, two sheds. House wow. is bigger, so I have a ton of room in the basement. Yeah. And a couple of porches because it's a walko. So no carport either? Like, can't no. drive underneath something? No, which I don't care about. For me, it's really just what's sort which isn't such a big deal because the quad can stay outside. And, yeah. You know, a few things that are inside can go outside. But, uh, yeah, I think I'd like to get a C-Can or a 10 by 10 shed. I mean, C-Cans are pretty cheap. You keep probably get a C-Can for a thousand bucks. No, I don't know about that. That's that's maybe two or three, I think, unless it's pretty beat up. The going rate's about 2500 But uh But when there's a, you know, they're kind of going waves. Sometimes there's a bunch of them around, and sometimes yeah. there's not many. And when there's a bunch of them around, they're pretty cheap. Yeah. And you got to get it from not a guy, you know, not a container guy, just some fucking yeah. somebody that just wants, that wants to fucking yeah. off his fucking land and getting it off of there is half the fucking problem. Because the beauty is, I got just all those connections, you know, I can get a C cam move no problem for, you yeah. know, 150 bucks. Done yeah. deal. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of exciting, eh? Setting up the new yard and all that and getting moving out of, out of the city. Oh, so much work is crazy, though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said crazy fucking couple yeah. months. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But that's all right. 
But come like January, it'll be it'll be chill. January, yeah. February. Then uh, start gearing up for the eclipse. I mean, we do have the Mojave trip. I'll be honest. I mean, if if you guys don't sign up for that or let us know you want to sign up for that right away, it is going to get postponed for a year probably. And uh, but let us know. I mean, if you do want to do that, let us know. Um, because there's right now there's only two people. We'll just talk to them. They might just jump in. Bruce, take them. That's or, the Mojave camping trip, right? So it's camping yeah. in in the Mojave desert for like a week and you're sort of a central you drive all the way in right and then there's a central place and then you sort of hike out every day checking out stuff from that right yeah we it was pretty hardcore we had a couple people express interest i think it's up against a couple other trips there's an egypt trip around there for the snake bros but uh so i think you know but i know i know who made the deposit already so i'm gonna talk to them and there's a chance we might just send them along so if you are interested just because there's only a couple people don't let that scare you because i mean there's a chance bruce gonna go anyway and uh he knows the people have made the deposit he's he's tripped with them multiple times and he had mentioned that you know we could go with a small number of people you know so yeah if that's something you're interested in let us know and if we can get the number going to the right spot we'll get to it when is uh, that again that's like January twelfth. So January, so like the last half of January. Sure, I'm I'll right in there. Exactly, I got it right here. Got contact at the cabin dot com open here. It's uh, January twenty first. That sounds right. Yeah, nailed it. So let us know if that's something you're interested in. Right away, that one's kind of up against it, where we got a the make or break decision. Of course, the uh, next event that is happening for sure. Uh, it's a big one. The con is it Eclipse of Canyon? Total Eclipse of the Fart. Uh, <laughs> eclipse of the Canyon, yeah. <laughs> it's coming up. Dude, did you see the shit I shared on? I, 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 we want, I want to talk about that now. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about the event and then let's, let's, okay. I want to ask you about your meme. See if you fact check that meme of yours because it pretty much Which blew part? me away. It blew Which me part? Away. The, the day. day? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me. Let me. I, I did, dude. I had to went and fucking specifically checked the days myself. And I was <laughs> like, what the fuck? Oh, that's crazy. Cause I, okay, let's just talk about that now. So, you put this meme in there about the two eclipses, right? The one from 2017, the one from 2024. And you're like, you know, there's a middle. Let me, let me see what it said here. It said that. So, know, there was one in North America, <laughs> then one in South America, then one in North America. No, no. The December 14th was the one just, it was only just the, wasn't it the middle? The middle. It was just the time. It was the middle of the two eclipses. Yeah, but there's also a total oh, square. That's crazy. In South America, the day the jab came out. So I was like, okay, this must be saying like what's in that middle, right? It's 1,211 days from the 2017 eclipse and 1,211 days from the 2024 eclipse, the one that we're doing the event at on April 8th. And I was like, what's in the middle? And I look over and it says, Donald Trump tweets, first vaccine administered. Congratulations, USA. Congratulations, world, on December 14th, right between the two. Who got the first one? Some guy that's no longer with us. I mean, Is he dead? Like, I, think he, I think he did fairly quickly after, wasn't it? I mean, wasn't there a big, like... I do remember like something like that. I was, I was kind of checking because I don't remember the details. I remember the guy in remember the guy in England had a really weird name too. The first guy in the UK were like, really, you're gonna name the guy that? Remember what was it? He had a really strange name. 
Yeah, I forget. Oh, now I got to try and find it. So, yeah, isn't that something that me? I mean, maybe there's an eclipse every 1,211 days. Maybe that's just how it goes. Maybe it's not crazy, but it seems crazy to me. It does, yeah. Especially because they're, the, it's right in between the two that were in North America. Yeah, and there's an X over someplace. I wouldn't want to be there. I'm glad we're not watching the eclipse there. So, yeah, it's August 21st, 2017, 1,211 days to December 14th, 2020, 1,211 days to April 8th, 2024. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be... 1,299 days. Blessed is he that waiteth and cometh to the 1,305 and 30 days. So I don't know what the fuck all that means. <laughs> <laughs> that, but the main reason I took that part was because of the bottom that shows that 1,211 days in the 1,211 days. And that, like I said, is... Uh, is what uh, I fact-checked. I had to check that. I was like, nah, it can't be right. And you know what, dude? I did it, and it came up as 1,212 days on the back end, and I was like, you motherfuckers. And then I noticed I had accidentally checked to include the for the day of in the box, so it's it's correct. So maybe one of our uh, Eclipse people out there can say, nah, you idiots, there's an Eclipse every no, but 12 doesn't, or 11 It doesn't matter if there is one, because that, that, date, that date ended up on that. It's... it's one of the most important dates in the last few years and it landed right in the middle i mean come on it's just too much on an eclipse too on an eclipse too and so this is from may 26 2021 now when we're not giving out any advice there's no advice here or anything like that but this article is from may 26 cbs william shakespeare the first man in the uk to receive covid19 vaccine don't you remember that remember we're like what come on they picked the first guy and his name is william shakespeare he died of a stroke in 81. <laughs> yes. The beauty about killing old people is, uh, you know, you don't want to get caught because they're old, prone to dying. But anyway, I digress. We're probably saying a little too much. I mean, I do have a bunch of real doozy shit for Roundup this week. I'm really, I feel like I'm getting into the Roundup groove. Yeah. If you want to check that out? That's coming out Wednesday night. The first hour or so will be free. And then the last last bit will be for the plus members. But it, uh, I mean, they're just, dude, it'll be worth it. The first hour is, it'll be, it'll be popping. I got a bunch of trans stuff and COVID back stuff and other stuff and more clips. I'm getting more clippy. Good for you. That's good. So yeah. that's on our Grammarica Outlaw. Yeah. Check out Grammarica Outlaw, please. Yeah. It's important. I mean, or support this show. I mean, you could check out Grammar Outlaw. Maybe you do support. Maybe you don't. Maybe you share it. Maybe you check out the Adult Brain podcast, adultbrain.ca, and you check sign up for that. Or maybe you just support here. Or maybe I don't know. Maybe you don't support it all. Maybe you could just share it around. But uh, we need we need something. You know, we need some value back our way. If you guys like the show, and you don't want it to go away. Uh, Send us some support our way. That doesn't have to be money. We understand it's tough out there. You don't send us money. Send us an email. Send us, uh, you know, a trip report, a synchronicity, 
send us a, a guest suggestion, send us some feedback, share us around. I mean, I'm still kicked off of Twitter. I'm back on Twitter secretly, but uh, and then I got verified too. I fake, I fake, I got verified. So now I'm verified on Twitter. That's not really me. Well, what? Yeah, right. I wonder why there's like 90 million bots following, following me. If it's following that, you? That easy. I'm not a bot though. It's all bot. Dude, it's all bots. Oh yeah, there's so many. It's unbelievable. Elon just got rid of all the other bots. Elon just got rid of the other bots so he could put his own fucking bots in to try them out. So it's, he's testing his own AI on Twitter. I'm telling you. But they're all just hottie bots. They're just you look at them. They all just fall. Yeah, that's because you're like, a hottie bot guy. I mean, it's like no, it's not. I don't yeah. do anything to to to, to, <laughs> to the algum to go that way. I don't. <laughs> You pause just a little longer on those. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? Just click on it one minute. You on your fucking micro like things, dude. I'm telling you. Maybe not. But I don't have any hottie. Actually, that's not true. That's not true. I did get full. They will come. It'll be interesting. I mean, I call them hookers. Hooker bots. Well, I'm going to be interested to know how bad the bots are in in this new experiment that you're doing compared to last time. Because there's a lot of, I mean, on the other side of it, there's a lot of people pushing for freedom. There's a lot of freedom people too. I mean, it seems like it's, you know, people talking about their injuries from the jabs and stuff. There's people out there, all kinds of people doing that now. So that's allowed. Anyways, we should talk more about the eclipse before we move on. So we do want to mention that uh, there's going to be live music there. $50 dynasty, Henry and the invisibles, mostly dead and probably some more bands as well. Luke caverns is coming. Uh, Dave Matheson is speaking, Ben from Uncharted X, Russ Allen. So don't miss out on this rare opportunity to witness the eclipse at one of the most scenic locations in Texas. And I'm the MC. Darren's the MC. My first two followers were Graham. Graham and Graham Erica, you were number one. And Graham Gainsford was number two. Oh, that's so funny, eh? The king of the UK posse. I guess we can make like Tony a, like a a duchess or something. I don't know. What's a duke, dude? A duke. A dukes. Uh so at least one. No, wait. Yep. Hooker bot. So this um, festival is for a couple nights here. It's uh from April 6th to April 9th, basically. whole bunch of information contact at thecabin.com. It'll take you to Eventbrite. Three. First five. 100 tickets get discounts as Darren's counting <laughs> his bots over there. See, it's already happening. USA-FAP.beauty. I mean, that's a pretty clear indicator, isn't it? Yeah, that one is, but they're getting better. There's MAGA bots. There's MAGA hottie bots now, too. Uh, so, let's see. Out of my 30 followers, we got... Oh, shit. Well, I know the verified followers should be good. One? That one might be one, too. Two? Holy fuck, bro. You're probably onto something here. I never really looked. Yeah. So I keep accidentally clicking on it. So I can't click on it. If I click on it, it fucks up. So one, two, three, 
four, five in a batch. That's like a little batch. Yeah, they do that. They batch, yeah. And I swear I didn't even get notified of that because I thought Brian was my third follower. But there's all of a sudden a batch of these hooker bots in there. <laughs> and then it's it's very more people I kinda know. And then Hookerbot. It's almost like they're gonna they, know, three, four. So that's six hooker bots so far. It's it's like they're gonna push it so far that people just get so fed up that then now you have to all of a sudden. And then look, another batch, another batch of four. Ding 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 ding. Five. No, another batch of five. Yeah. So that's eleven. Yeah, so we're at 11. 40%. 11. Over 30% of my followers. Yeah. Yeah. That's 35. They're going to push us over the edge. So we all need to be online, not anonymous. Uh, our identities linked to everything, all our personal information. So we can use X as the all everything app. They don't uh, like. I would have never known they were there if you wouldn't have mentioned it. Yeah. Interesting. So Twitter is now thirty-five uh, percent hooker bots. That I don't think that was a thing before. But the thing that I don't notice that I used to notice before is that I don't like randomly scroll across dicks and shit. Dick pics, you mean? Or? Yeah, man. Just sort of like people fucking, you know. Just what? like, yeah, dude. It used to be pretty bad where you're just like, and I don't follow anything like that, you know. But it's just wow. Like, the old one was like that. Yeah. Yeah. Back in like the Wild West days, like you know what it was is like because we got caught in the thing where we were like following followers of people, and you know, back in the oh, Wild right. West days of Twitter, you could just go follow people that followed podcasts, and it was this weird marketing thing because they'd get a notification, and then we also got in the habit of following everyone back. So you know, we were probably following bots all the time, but dude, it got to the point I couldn't even go. I couldn't even like. I had like a you know, a list made up of people I follow because if I just went into the the timeline, dude, there'd just be fucking dicks flying around all over the place. It was fucked up. Speaking of algos, that's my algo. I had dicks too, so don't feel too bad. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, support the show. America.ca slash support. We can't do this without you guys. Like I say, I, I mentioned the other two shows can check those out sign up for the eclipse and uh i do say that uh, the one thing twitter is good for i'm gonna keep it tame i'm gonna you know jump around too much if people try hard enough they'll find me um but uh i'm trying to just sort of you know not cause too much trouble and uh stay on because it's it is it it is the best news platform one out of all of them that's what I'll give Twitter. It's the easiest to find like bite-sized news or search for something and get a lot of different opinions on it, or a lot of different viewpoints on it. Right again. I mean, it could be pretty slanted here and there, but then there's a lot of different types of it, you know, like there's some video clips, there's some this, there's some that. It's real good for for that. Oh, UFO Twitter, like speaking of this episode we got with Mike Cleland and the owls and the ET contact and stuff like that, UFO Twitter is like, holy, it's amazing. As far as the amount of different people on there researching it, and it's quite the community. I still haven't sent a letter to Twitter to try and get my account reinstated, but 
It's on my list of things to do. I'm going to send a nice letter. And I'm going to send it in registered mail. I still don't think they'll read it. I mean, I don't know what to write on it. What would you read? Should I just go to like the complete account reinstatement? Or am I just throw that right in the trash? How many of those do you think they get in a day? Just put Indian, like you're the most censored Indian in Canada. Ooh, indigenous no. rights, like indigenous yeah. rights. You're the most censored Indian in Canada. All you did was was try and keep Notley safe. <laughs> Dude, I don't want to go too far down that. I don't want to like. I don't want them thinking of too much yet because they might find a they might find a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> you were hateful, but just say like I've 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 learned my my hateful. Maybe you could just say like I've I'm, Dude, I was hateful. The world was better. A hateful before. Now I've learned I'm I'm turning towards love only without hate. World could do better with some more bullies in the food chain. Uh, yeah, but you don't real want to life tell bullies. Real life bullies, not online bullies. That's some chicken shit bullshit. I don't think that's helping anything. I'm kind of an online bully. So I'll take some things. Maybe a little online bullying helps too, though. Now I'm going to take that back. I will take back what I just said. The world could do better with some all-around bullying. Not hate. Just some bullying. You know, like... Yeah, but they're just going to make it hate eventually. It's all going to be hate. You just they don't want it. Dude, it's all hate speech anyway. But uh, dude, we we're at least making thicker-skinned people. I know. That's, yeah. Exactly. You know, when you couldn't act like a fucking retard because you get called a faggot if you were, you know, stuff like that. You know, there were real like schoolyard implications to being a fucking weirdo. <laughs> and now it's like, don't fucking do whatever you want. Yeah. And that carried on through the whole thing. You know, if you're a fucking weirdo, just we, society didn't want nothing to do you. Now the internet society is like, ooh, look at this fucking weirdo. They're still, they don't, if they seen you in real life, I mean, not you, because person listening to this, you're not one of these fucking weirdos. But if they've seen these weirdos on, like, there's some people I follow on Instagram that if I see these motherfuckers in real life, I'm crossing the road, man, because they're fucking weirdos. But they do some funny shit now and again. You know, they have, like, a penchant for hurting themselves or drinking weird shit or, you know, just generally making a fool of themselves for, uh, for likes or whatever. I mean, they're probably making a mint. I, but, uh, you know, I wouldn't want to hang out with some of them. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Yeah, I don't know. Either. Just, yeah, I'm just bullying, bullying. Just, oh. oh, yeah. So, you know, the online rewards of stuff that, like, the real life doesn't. You know, if you're, yeah. like, acting like this, and that's the point that makes those Instagram funnies is that the general public is, like, just generally appalled by what's going on. That's the gag. That's a gag. Is everyone around like this guy's a fucking weirdo? They don't know how to act because because they can't bully you. Every once in a while, there's a bully in the mix though, and he straightens that shit out. Yeah. Like, did you see the one where Buddy like hops out of the car to go start like he's gonna go start doing some weird TikTok dance or something, and like some dude just comes and fucking knocks him out. And no. Then, like, points in the car, and he's like, "No, no." <laughs> Oh, I didn't that's that. a pretty funny one. Like that's yeah. a classic example of a bully like saving the day. Yeah. Bully you know, probably steered me straight once or twice from doing some extra. You could have got bullied out of D and D. You're probably yeah. pretty tough when you're a kid though. Yeah. We were pretty weird playing D and D, you know, we were the misfits back then. Weren't you like 
cool because of hockey, though. That must have helped out. Well, yeah, we were part of the whole, like, I was part of every group. I'd hang out with the rockers and, you know, the punks a little bit and the jocks. and We just had skids and preps. I miss the 80s, you know? You just had skids and skids. (laughs) (laughs) That's what they called it. Seems weird now, but. I think we had skids. Preps. You're a skid, right? Yeah. But I could hang out with the preps. Yeah. I could, like, cross the. Yeah, I crossed the boundaries quite a bit. I wasn't hardcore, you know? Yeah. I was pretty chill. Pretty high most of the time, so. Anyway, enough about that shit. What uh, what do you got? We got a bunch of shit to get into. We got the thing with Tony, of course, our buddy from the UK. Tony the Duchess, the Dukas, the Duck, Duke, Duke of the UK. We'll call him the Duck of the UK. I mean, he has shot seven or eight ducks. That's got to be more than... 99.9% of people in the UK, right? Yep. You can't shoot ducks here. You can't shoot nothing. So, and he was like out shooting everybody for ducks. He's, uh, might outshot me. I don't know about that. That sounds a little crazy. He might even took credit for a few of my ducks, but that's fine. I'll let him have it. But, uh, he definitely outshot Brandon Powell. Sorry, Brandon. And even Miles. So, I mean, Tony was a duck killing machine. So we'll call him the duck. Anyway, he comes in. He lets us know about finishing off his trip. Of course, he came on the show back in episode 628. He finishes that off a little how it was heading home. And a little, that's sort of a CAC roundup, too. And then uh, then we got the interview with Mike Cleland, who you guys, if anyone has been around a long time, would remember for sure. They would know him. Mike's been around. We've been following Mike stuff since day one. We would have been listening to his podcast when we started this podcast. Yeah, yeah. And he's, he had a book called uh, Messengers. Uh, that was a nonfiction book. And he had a website. And basically, he's got a new book out. It's a fiction one called The Unseen. It's a paranormal thriller. It seems really... I read the first bit of it. I just didn't have time to complete it. But it lo- it sounds really good. And uh, he's going to... Uh, he's also He also takes all these accounts of people that have owls and, and see owls and have mysterious encounters with owls and ETs and stuff. So he's got this site here, MikeClellan.com, and the site is meant to help promote his books, his podcasts, his illustrations, and his blog. Um, and he says, yeah, he, you can like contact him if uh, he got, he's got like, I think, thousands of stories from people all over all this stuff. And a lot of cool synchronicities, too. Yeah. Come to the Eclipse, support the show, enjoy the chat with uh, Mike Clellan. got a special little intro for this episode with anthony anthony from the uk who was with us on our latest uh contact at the cabin trip and uh yeah we just a couple laps ago right was it 628 yeah do you know what it's engraved on my memory it was 628 yeah there you go <laughs>
Yeah, you were on that full app there with with Brandon Powell for a, wh- a while before we yeah. left. It was uh, it, it, it was really cool, really cool souvenir to come away with, one to keep forever. So, what'd you think of the prairies and the mountain? I mean, you got a really good taste of like the prairies, the hunting, yeah. and the mountains and the cold. yeah. And- you know what? It was such an authentic trip, and I think because it was so busy as well, uh, you won't go over old ground. I got there was straight out on the prairies and spent some time out there. And it's kind of since I've been back you start thinking about things I start mulling things over and, and and you appreciate where you've been. I'm sure you've had trips like that yourselves. You go somewhere. It's amazing. It takes a little bit of getting back in and sinking into it all. And skipping ahead in the trip, uh, when Darren was bringing us back from the event and we we're coming through the foothills and he said to me, so what's your favorite, the prairies or the mountains? I said, oh, I think it's got to be the mountains. But, you know, since I've been back, then prairies are magnetic. I can't stop thinking about the prairies. And I have to say, I think I've changed my mind. It, it, I think that was my favourite part, my favourite landscape. Uh, they can change from hour to hour, you know. It, they're incredible. It was it was a really authentic trip. I'm really pleased I got to spend time out there. I think I spent time where a lot of Canadians haven't spent time. And, yeah, there's, there's something really magnetic and magical about those prairies wow that's that's funny you mentioned that because the favorite part i have is that drive you did that you're talking about where you mentioned that where darren asked because it's that rolling hill that rolling hills between the mountains and the prairies that to me is like there's something about that landscape i completely agree i think i think if it came to living there the foothills is where i'd choose to be you've got that perfect mix the mountains the prairies are just beginning to roll in the trees. That's one thing. I, I'm surrounded by trees here, and it was kind of a bit weird getting out in the prairies and seeing no trees. <laughs> so I think in terms of living somewhere, them foothills look perfect. It looks. I'd love to spend a bit more time around the area, checking it out. Um, but having the prairies that close, I think I'd find myself just going back again and again to the prairies. There's something magical out there. This, I don't know what it is. Um, yeah, just a beautiful, beautiful, untouched landscape. Well, there's a there's a 322-acre farm for only uh, 675,000 Canadian out here in the prairies. Oh, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, you don't want to go that far into the prairies. It's got a house. It's got a house <laughs> and everything. It's got a yard and a, like 322 acres for 675. I mean, that's Where's that? Geez, that seems expensive. That's... <laughs> No way. That's, you're trying to sell a house. <laughs> How, How many acres? That's in Saskatchewan. Like that's, you know, pat, probably past me. How, How many, many acres? 322. Yeah, you can get shit cheaper than that if you go out here, get like uh, up north of Medicine Hat or something like that. I think yeah. I was actually just looking. It looks like a bunch of acreages are starting to come down out here. Oh, yeah. A little bit cheaper again. But you the the thing about the prairies, you don't want to go too far out into the prairies. You know, you don't want to go more than a hundred miles into the prairies because then you can't see the mountains anymore. And uh I mean, you just can't really get to them. You know what I mean? The beauty thing about being right into the prairies only, you know, we're probably fifty miles into the prairies here. Uh is the foothills are accessible, the mountains are accessible, the prairies are accessible. When I go into the mountains and the foothills, the real problem I have is just the fucking, the sun comes up late and it goes down early. 
Because it's coming up behind a mountain and it's set. I mean, when I was in Canmore in the winter, dude, doing work, it's like, as it is, the sun's coming up at not, you know, eight thirty nine in the fucking morning uh, in our winter, 9 a.m., say, and it's setting at 4. And then when you're out in the mountains, it's like not coming up till 1030 and it's gone by like 2. It's like, what the fuck is going right, on? Right, right. Cool, that's Do you know what it seems where you are, Darren, or where you currently is just like it is the perfect location to have so many different places, you know, within such a short drive to get to, so much to do. Calgary is a for me such a unique position city, especially when we, we went up to the top of the, the 42 story you were doing, and you can just see it all out there in front of you, the mountains, the prairies. I, I'm not sure I'd want to live in Calgary myself. That's just because I'm not a city person, but what a perfectly placed city, you know, really, really well. Has it changed your definition of what a long drive is? Because, I mean, <laughs> it's not a long drive. You say it's not a long drive to the mountains, but, I mean, that is, it's, it's you know, 100 miles. It's at least yeah. 100 miles before you're in the mountains proper. I so. think it must have changed my perception for me to say that. But you know what? I had to drive to, I had to drive an hour into Leicester. I live in a town called Melton Mowbray. I had to drive an hour into Leicester and back the other day. And I'm like, oh my God, I can't be doing this long drive. <laughs> so you guys, that's the one thing. It, it, it just, that's the one thing about Canada, the amount of time spent in the car. It was, it was a shock. No wonder you got such big, comfy vehicles. You spend so much time in there. You, li- you live in yours, don't you, Darren, pretty much? I spent a lot of time in a vehicle for sure. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's the same, I guess, you know, it's the modern day equivalent of spending a lot of time on the back of a horse. If yeah, you want to see what's out there, you got to fucking go, you know, you got to go. Yeah. Yeah. But it, it, I mean, it's just, it's just completely different. I mean, I've done a lot of comparisons between Canada and England while I was there since I've been back and, you know, just the size and the, the, the space just makes it almost, incomparable um it's just completely different i think we have a national park in the northwest territories that's bigger than england i'm sure you do i mean there's no roads to it there's like a little i think a helicopter landing pad and it's in the middle of fucking nowhere i was looking at the other day they were saying it looks magnificent i didn't even know it was there you know there's just like there's giant chunks of the fucking Northwest territories that are the size of fucking countries in Europe that nobody's yeah. even, you could fucking population less, than, zero? less than a thousand population zero, dude. There's only fucking 60,000 people in the, the entire Northwest territories. The biggest fucking province, biggest territory in Canada only has 60,000 people. in it. So there's chunks of that dude. And it's cold as shit. It's cold as shit in the winter. So there's definitely spots where you can go there. If we're like, you know, if you wanted to do a little backpacking trip, it'd be dangerous as fuck because if something happens, you're fucking on your own straight up. But it's changing. Like in the days of Starlink, mobile Starlink, you know, you're a few years away from being able to just get rescued in a place like that. Hey, man, we need a helicopter. Fuck, help. Sorry. You know, and but dude, you get up there and you could literally start wandering around in places where fucking humans have never been. You could find a little valley, a little lake, a little thing where maybe 10, maybe a hundred, less than a thousand for sure. Unless some tribe went through there a long time ago and like set up on that lake for a little while. You're talking about getting into spots where people have never fucking been before. And I don't think there's any place outside of Alaska, the Yukon and the Northwest territories where that's still really an option. I mean, 
I do think probably northern Saskatchewan, northern Alberta, northern Manitoba do have places where there's a bit of that if you get into the forest. But you get up into Northwest Territories, there's like legit spots that have only been surveyed by planes overhead, and there's just no nobody's been there. There's never been a fucking human wandering around where you. Oh are. yeah, Northwest Territory that covers the north of British Columbia, the north of Alberta. And the north of Saskatchewan, like that whole lower part of it go, crosses all three of those provinces and then goes straight up. Yeah, it is. It is. But even, do you know, even closer when we were driving into Invermere and coming through BC and I was looking at the roadsides and the mountains and how thick the spruce forests were and the pine forests. And I was thinking to myself then, do you know what? There, there may have been never anybody work, walk in certain parts of those forests because Let's face it, you've got so much forest in the area. Why would you pick one space over another? It could be as close to you as that, that has just been untouched. And that that's one thing I did notice. Um, I know I spoke to Darren about this while I was out there, but so many people from Europe, from England, go out to Canada, go out to, North, uh, to America, and they come back and they say, oh, everything's new. Everything, the buildings are new. The cities are new. The towns are new. But I think the short-sighted, one of the things that struck me was how ancient your landscape looked. The riverbanks are just untouched. Everything in, in England has been touched by human hand. You don't, you can't get away from humanity. You can't get away from the Industrial Revolution, World War II. It's everywhere. And to me, Canada looked ancient and it looked beautiful for it. It, and and it's everywhere. You're just surrounded by pristine wilderness. It was it was a real pleasure to to see. But th- but that's interesting because you've also still got beautiful nature there, though. Like the Yorkshire Dales, for example, really hit me hard. I don't know if that's because my family's from Yorkshire, my ancestry's from Yorkshire, but just driving through those dales is to me magical. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I I think the part of where I live in Leicestershire, it is beautiful. I there's so much about England that I love. And I, and I see the Yorkshire Dales are stunning, but we've got stone walls everywhere. We've got hedges everywhere. Yeah, yeah. There's buildings it's everywhere. It's there's ducks, yeah. There's rail abandoned railway cuttings. So yeah, it's beautiful. I'm not denying it's beautiful, but to be surrounded by that all my life. What do they call that in South America? Where they like everything's like there's a word for it. Where everything's like. Built upon, built upon. No, we're just like, it's all made by people, man. It's all, there's nothing. It's like, uh, but they're talking about, I think, crops and the things. I don't know if that word would transfer to people, but it's like when they like, how they say the rainforest was planted on purpose. You know, it was. That's kind of like all of England is the way I look at it. And in, in a lot of ways, a lot of Europe, I'm ignorant of most of Europe, but uh it seems like, and I'm ignorant to most of England, to be honest, too, but it seems like just what I can see on Google Earth and from what I've got off the television, it's just like it's all been manicured. It's all like yeah. landscape. The entire fucking country is landscaped from fucking top to bottom. Yeah, yeah I, think, I, mean, I think in England you've got Dartmoor down in the southwest that is pretty much untouched, and I know there's a laws to keep it that way. I'm ignorant on Scotland. They've got way better laws than we have in terms of, and a lot more wilderness and open space. I think Scotland would be very different. I'm not going to comment. I don't know it that well. And there's, there's certain areas of Wales also that have been kept untouched. But certainly England, yeah, you're right. It's been manicured. It's been gentrified in a way. Because in a lot of ways, you came into like the most touched part. I mean, save Southern Quebec and Southern Ontario. You know, the West is like the most touched part of 
Canada. You know, we get out into those prairies and it was like the roads I was showing you where there's a rain road, range road every mile. And then if you go north, south, there's a township road every mile. So it's grid work. The whole thing's fucking yeah. grid work. Oh, I mean, we drive six hours north and you get into northern Alberta and that's fucking gone. You go out and you get into northern Ontario, the Canadian Shield. Then it's just like bush. You know, you're in the, you would have really seen that when you drive through Ontario for like 16 hours fucking straight, man. And it's nothing but the forest. It's really fucking crazy. Yeah. And you know, and, and this is, this is one of the things I'd, I'd like to come back and see. There's so many from that, that, that couple of weeks I've had with you guys. And it, yeah, there's a lot of places to come back and adventure. But I like the sacredness of, of, of England, especially for some reason, the, U, the UK. You know, all the sacred sites that you have there, the history, the history of what, like, it. I think there's a whole different feeling about just that, that it's been populated for so many thousands of years straight up till now, you know, where we weren't really, like, I know we were populated by indigenous to a certain point, but we were also covered by, covered with, uh, you know, with icebergs, ice sheets not too long ago. So Icebergs? Icebergs, yeah. Uh, icebergs. Icebergs. <laughs> You know, you know what I mean? Like it's just, oh, yeah, without a doubt. I mean, the new world, it's the new world. Um, and yeah, I mean, these, like I say, the town I live in, it's not particularly on the map. It's not anything particularly special, but we've got buildings at 1341 and wow. you know, 1400s. And it, yeah, I, I, I appreciate all of that. And I really do. But it's just that it, it was, it was the contrast, you know, you can look at the humanity that's his, that's historical in England and arguably not so for, for New Canada. Um, but the landscape, I, I just think it, it really struck me. It really struck me how ancient the landscape was. It's just something I wanted to mention. Um, Dude, you leave the prairies and like every place else in the world seems small. There's yeah. like a reason that the prairies are so captivating. I mean, people that are spend a lot of time there, grew up there, I mean, because you, you start going, even you get into our place at Invermere, that's pretty much at the top of the mountain, and your fucking view of the stars is ten yeah. percent of what it is out in the prairies. You know, you just get used to that big yeah. sky, yeah. seeing that's weather coming forever, yeah. seeing that sun from the fucking minute it gets up in the morning to the minute it goes down. I got it. You know, it's there the whole fucking time. Yeah, the and, sky, the big sky, the big Albertan sky. The, it was phenomenal and do you know what and, and i miss it i in that short space of time i think i grew used to it and i got back and i missed it that's the one that gets you the most and people don't see it coming as you start to get used to that big sky big sky country montana alberta saskatchewan to a lesser extent saskatchewan still has a big sky but it doesn't have the mountains twisting up the fucking crazy weather systems and the clouds so i mean alberta's famous for those sunrises and sunsets that are like i don't know what's happening but the mountains have a lot to do with it because they're holding that like when we get them chinooks in that are fucking holding over the mountains and then the sun rises in the east and it comes up over underneath them and it goes from like an eerie pink to a purple to a bright orange sort of it's fucking nuts man yeah and i know when i flew in and every place else you go seems fucking tiny just by that perspective <laughs> even if there's nobody out there and you're driving down a road in the mountains like where we are, where we're in the hot springs. Even that to me is like, it just feels like I can't see as far yeah. as I'd like to be able to see. No, I get it. I get it. And with this, sun, the, the best sunset I saw was when I was first flying into Calgary and just looking out the airplane window. It didn't look real. It was block pink behind the, behind the Rockies. It actually looked animated. It was too perfect. 
um yeah yeah just um stunning how, how that looked when you didn't have like tv or digicolor or any color t-shirts like all you have are the colors yeah. of the match of the world and then you have these fucking crazy sunsets and crazy yeah. sunrises and it's just like it's yeah. worth getting up for absolutely it's these technicolor isn't it <laughs> you know from what could have been quite a drab existence i guess during the winter and so on to have them vivid vivid colors yeah no wonder people you know worship the sky worship the sun the stars it was just it was it's a spectacle I noticed it from moving from Vancouver to Calgary where we would go weeks without seeing the sun, literally like gray layer upon gray layer. And you'd go two weeks without seeing the sun. And I came here, I was like, every day, I'm like, the sun is there every day. It's very yeah. strange. And it does you good. It just does you good to be in the sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to get out there a little bit more here because it does get it. The time didn't change here. So it, it, it doesn't rise till nine, eight thirty nine. Okay. In, the morning, in the morning during winter, so it's pretty short here. Yeah, that is short. That is short. So any other favorite uh, parts of the trip or anything? He is. So, I mean, if I look at, he's farther north than I am, I think. Who, me? Yeah. Oh, great. Yeah, do you know what? I've worked it out. I think I'm about 60 miles further north than Calgary here. Um, yeah, for whatever that means. But we just, it's just one thing I did notice was how damp the air was when I got back here. Just, you know, it just, it was so dry and crisp. You weren't here long enough to get like the bugs though, were you? Not the actual bugs, but like when you move, I don't know if Graham went through this, but when you move to Alberta, there's like, it doesn't happen right away. It takes a few months before it starts happening. And then this thing starts happening after say two or three months, if I remember correctly, where you're like, entire skin starts adjusting to the fact because i moved from someplace not exactly like england because we had the winters where everything froze and it was, the winters could be pretty dry but we still had super soft water which made up for it i think but then you come to alberta it's hard water and drier and fuck and there's like a transition period where it seems like your skin is like drying out to this new thing and i remember like trying to sleep at night and it just starts to feel like you got fucking fleas or something, but it's just, your skin's just drying out. Ever I had this like dry brush, you're trying to get rid of it as quick as you can, but it keeps coming out. I was like, what the fuck's going on? I remember going to the doctor and he's like, oh, hey, just welcome to Alberta, buddy. <laughs> no, I, I wasn't there long enough to get that. I don't think. <laughs> you wake up with nosebleeds a little bit too. You know, that's pretty normal. I would definitely get nosebleeds in Alberta for the first time in my life. Yeah. Do you know what? I've got back. I've, I've had like really bad sinus headaches since I've been back. So whether that's got anything to do with it, I don't know. That's probably the pollution. It could be. It could be the plane journey. And then coming back. Do you know what? The air was crisp. I mean, you're was- way down. You're a mile down now. You're like yeah. at sea level compared to the air is fucking clean up here. That's the other good thing about yeah. uh, the high prairies. Yeah, and, and you know, yeah, maybe it was you know coming down the mountain, getting on a plane, could have been a whole load of things, but definitely the the air quality on a whole in Canada was just. You, and you can you I can because of the carbon tax. That's because of carbon tax. Is that what it is? Is it working? Right. Oh yeah, it used to be as bad as England, and then the carbon tax started. Bing, <laughs> get the good air. <laughs> we got Justin Trudeau to thank for our clean air. <laughs> Maybe be getting worse. Actually, I don't know. I mean, I, you definitely notice it in Calgary. We were out in some really cool spots, so we stayed out of the city. That's the other thing is, I bet you a lot of people come here and they spend a week in Calgary and sure. 
go out to fucking Banff once and go out to here once. I mean, you didn't really get to spend any time in civilization. You were out in the no. thick of it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Just completely authentic trip. And I wouldn't have changed a minute of it. It was just, uh, yeah. I mean, we, we nipped into Calgary one day, me and you, and that was enough for me. I, you know, I wanted to see it. We saw it. We saw it from above. Um, and that's enough for me with the city. You know, it's, uh, that was perfect. Yeah. Be outside. Yeah. In the wilderness. Graham, you must be like, 150 miles north, eh? Uh, I'm north of you. Yeah, you're probably north of uh, England too. Not too far though. Not too too much further north. But maybe this, you guys are the same. I did get to yeah. see the. I did get to see. Could I search that? I mean, I wonder. Would that be on the internet? What it is the number? It's like the latitude or the longitude or something. It'd be, yeah. it'd be easy to come up with for Calgary. I don't know how easy it'd be to come for for the middle of fucking nowhere, Saskatchewan. <laughs> I saw the I saw the Northern Lights on my way back, which was fantastic. I mean, that was cool. After all the time oh yeah the trip, we were Tony was lucky enough to see that too. We were lucky enough to see him just by the airport. I mean, we could have went out if we were willing to drive a few hours that night. You know, drive an hour north and an hour east to get fucking nuts. Like out where grandmas, I'd imagine they get crazy. Is it quite a regular thing with you, Graham? More of a light pollution thing than anything else, it seems. Like. No, it's not not regular. I mean, okay. we're not out at night looking looking for it either necessarily. But yeah, um, I guess it would be more regular if I was paying attention. But so before we uh, start to wrap up, what about the event? We haven't talked to you about yet. It was your first event. I mean, I think it was neat because you came along, you palled around, you got to do the whole authentic thing, and. Uh, I mean, we've had some people travel far and wide for the Randall events, but we've never, you're sort of the first Grimerican to come come over the pond just for one of our little CAC events. So, And you were coming before we even added in all the hunting and everything else. So was yeah. it, what if you didn't do all that? Would it still would have been worth it? Yeah, yeah, it would have been worth it. Um, I mean, I'm so pleased everything else, else did happen. Um, but yeah, it was it was a perfect event. I think so many aspects to it. I mean, the location that you picked was stunning, absolutely stunning location. Uh, obviously, Brandon doing his thing, massive, massive achievement. I hadn't cold plunged before, and I've done ended up doing four or five minutes in the river and then 10 minutes in the lake. I would never have dreamed that I'd been able to do that. So that was a huge achievement. And Brandon's breath work as well, um, particularly yeah, on the first session. That's like the weather was around freezing, just so people understand so the weather was right around probably 35 fahrenheit or two degrees celsius when these guys were in the lake for 10 minutes not just like some lake you know it was like there was ice on that motherfucker two weeks ago yeah it was it was seriously cold and walking into it especially after doing the river the day before walking in i'm thinking i ain't never doing 10 brandon's telling us we're going to do 10 minutes that's never going to happen but i don't know there was this group solidarity i mean that's that's worth the trip alone i think just being with like-minded people doing great things but yeah the, the, the everybody on that trip was was incredibly special incredibly talented as well met a lot of talented people there um you know we're in the message groups i feel like i've made good friends and i'm going to stay friends with you know hopefully see them again next year i know a lot of them are booking in again for anybody who couldn't make it this year do you know what get yourself out there it is such a wonderful experience great people do you know what oliver's eyebrows are worth the entrance free alone, <laughs> entrance fee alone they're just a you know, great bloke oliver um yeah it's, it's it was a wonderful wonderful time 
How'd you like the food? Food was very good. Food was very good. Do you know, I think also made better for the fact that I realized how fucking hard it is to get that food on the table when I'm talking about the game. Um, yeah, just incredibly rewarding. I know some of what we ate wasn't what we killed personally uh, on our hunt, but it kind of, you know, it rubs off, it shines off. Um, and just taste all the better for it, really. And then see other people enjoying it as well. Um, well, the, one so, yeah, at the, hotel, the one the dinner at the hotel that night that was yeah. harvest, that was the actual one we harvested it, yeah and you know what and it, and it and it was the pick of the bunch wasn't it It was the best one that we had while we were there and the fact that six what was it four four five six hours earlier you know, that, that animal was alive and then you know you've worked for it you've got it out and then you're enjoying it yeah incredibly rewarding how'd the ivories turn out you got them home no trouble yeah, do you know what? I soaked them the other night, so I had to order peroxide. I soaked them, and uh, I, I took them out this morning, and there's just still a little bit of gum attached, so I've had to sort of take yeah, that you off. Can just, you can scratch out a little bit and get Yeah, I've been, I've been working at it, so I'm going to have a look. I'm going to drill them in to put them on a chain or a cord or whatever. It's good. They're definitely going to be necklace. Um, the, 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 two, the two bull elks are definitely... Uh, Bull ivories are definitely the better ones to make something from. The other ones are pretty small, but yeah. And again, just a great momentum. That was the first cow elk I ever shot. Oh, was it? Yeah, I usually just shoot bulls. But everyone, I just kept saying how the cows taste so much better. So, uh, you know. Oh, I didn't realize that was the first cow you shot. I'm going to get the stuff back from the butcher. I'm going to try a baby elk tenderloin. I mean, how delicious do you think that is? It's got to be tender, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Baby going, I can't believe it. When do you get when do you go to the butchers? When they called the other day to ask if I wanted to add more fat to the grind. So I'm guessing it'll be in the next uh week. Within the next okay. seven days it should have probably I'm guessing in the neighborhood of fucking four hundred, three hundred three hundred and fifty or four hundred pounds of steaks and roasts and elk meat. Yeah. I gotta yeah. give some of that away to the boys who helped out, but uh, I'll be eating steaks all winter. Yeah, Paul messaged me today. He said he's coming down to see you to collect his meat and help you with the move. Yeah, he said he's going to come Saturday and help me move and collect some meat. Yeah, be good. Yeah. So I got the latitudes here. Calgary is 51.2. Uh, Watchers, where I live, is 51.40. And Leicester, which is, is that close to you? Yeah, that's close. You, that, that's about 30 miles south of me. 30 miles south. So that's 52.38. So you're, you're a little bit higher there. You're almost one yeah, degree, yeah, like almost the same. degree yeah. higher. Yeah. It's surprising, isn't it? You just, you just don't kind of consider that it is. God, I think London, I think London's often used as well as the, the point of reference. Obviously I don't fucking know how they do it, man. So you guys got a shorter fucking day than me and it's cloudy as fucking raining, man. What's yeah, the suicide rate? We're an island. It's oceanic, oceanic weather. It's just always well, often grey and wet, and dark, and dark. Yeah, but we do have good days. It's not all bad, you know. <laughs> and you guys are always up, pretty upbeat about it. So, yeah, it's no wonder you went and conquered the world. I mean, no kidding. Because well, the fucking weather was so bad. Right? Yeah, it's like being in, your, being in your basement apartment. Like, man, I'm gonna take over that upstairs. We son. need, we need India. We need. Mexico, Australia, New Zealand, yeah, Canada. Canada. I mean, we were just reading something on Roundup the other day that uh, talked about the king. So, 
Yeah, do you know what I've been looking into? Obviously, we spent a bit of time on Crownland, and I've, I've had a quick look into what that is and it, how it's divided between federal Crownland, provincial Crownland. I think it's coming up as eighty four percent, maybe even eighty nine percent of Canada's Crownland, and it's just hanging on to that term Crown, where you read the explanation, it's saying it's owned by the government, whether federal, provincial, but you've got Crown attached to it. I don't know. Oh, so dude, we read that part. We read the government-funded report, and the fucking fine print at the beginning says His Majesty the King. Mm. Yeah, the so King of right. just, it's not even just Crown. We're still just pretending he's the King of Canada too. It's the King of Right, just for, pretend, just for pretend, just for pretend. But you know what? And but you, you can you can go out and use your Crown land. You can hunt on it. You can camp on it. You can do a fair bit of to what I've been reading up. You've got a fair bit of access and rights on that land. We got our common land taken in 1773 with the Enclosure Act. 3% of this country remains as common land. We're not allowed to take vehicles onto it. We're not allowed to hunt on it. We're not allowed to graze animals on it. We can't do a fucking thing on it. It's just kind of a funny situation, isn't it? That, you know, it's being yeah. referred to as crown land. What do you do with it? What do you do with that land? You can't, can't uh, you go hike on it? probably dance around a maypole on May Day or have a village bait or something. You know, it's kind of maybe a football game, that, that kind of stuff. I mean, where this three percent of land is, I don't. Is that adding up tiny little village greens all over the country? Maybe it is. I, I really don't know. Oh, I guarantee and it's not, that's what it is. Yeah, guarantee yeah. that. Like every yeah. public park. I think it pro most probably is. I'm not 100 percent sure, but you know, we can't do anything with it. Um, but yeah. Hey, okay. how's it? Let's have a look. How's the finger doing? I got about 50 percent mobility out of it again. What have you got on there? That's my splint they made me. Is that your splint? <laughs> That's going to drag on a while, isn't it? Yeah, another three or four weeks, I think. Yeah. So you just added more meat to carry in the move when you're moving house. More stuff to take. That's right. Maybe I won't go pick up the meat till the week after. Oscar, if I can just keep it there an extra week till I get moved, because I'm moving next Saturday, seven days. So. How is it next Saturday? Coming up quick, yeah. Yeah. I go to yeah. Elon's system for internet, so now I'll get canceled from the whole internet, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Imagine that. Has anybody been canceled yeah. yet for Elon? The first human, even. Yes. Well, Tony, this has been great. Uh, is there anything else you want to say before we wrap this up? No, do you know what? I'd just like to say thank you to you two personally for inviting me over. It's such a special time. Everybody on that trip that I met, pleasure to meet you all. Hope to see you all again. And you know what? For those of you who didn't get there, get there next year. It, you, it's a wonderful time. There is tickets for sale at contactatthecabin.com. It is selling fast already. Even being a year away, it's our fastest selling event right now. I think uh, there's only like uh, maybe one private left and the rest are gone already, so jump in on that get back and uh thanks tony you stay safe over in england no problem thank you
right, Mike Cleland, welcome back to Grimerica after almost eight years. How are you doing? Great. How are you all? Oh, we're, we're doing pretty good. What I mean, what a, what fascinating times since we've chatted last. I mean, how much has happened in the whole, I mean, everything from, you know, UFOs and Skinwalker. And I mean, I feel like your book was kind of, your 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 sort of uh, prominence, your rise to prominence in your books and all. We're at the sort of the cusp at the beginning of all this, really. Well, you know, I don't remember the books. Wasn't there a podcast too? Oh, yeah. oh, I had a podcast. Yep, I had a yeah, podcast. Yeah, I remember in the, in the late, all of those. Yeah, those are still on. They can, those are available. The Hidden Experience was the podcast I did it between 2009 and 2000 and actually 2014-15. I kind of dialed it down. And what happened is once I started writing the book, I just all my energy was just one. I couldn't do two things. I was going to one thing, one thing only. I was going to put all my energy into the book. And that's what I did. And so I haven't really even been that active. The blog was really a big part of my life for all those years. And then that kind of died down when I was started writing the books. So yeah, I was definitely a fan of the podcast. So I remember it was actually, as soon as I heard your voice, when you, when you jumped in the studio, it was just like, Oh yeah, man. I remember like driving around in my truck, listening to all those oh, great on. experiences back in the day. Yeah. So there's a, you know, I, I popped those are on, I got there like on the, my whatever little podcast thing they show up. And so like, they're, like I'll listen to some of those ones and like some of them are great. You know, th- that old podcast was like I was in the throes of trying to deal with my own set of experiences and such and and y- y- the part of the, another part of the reason I stopped doing the podcast is like that was my therapy. That was like the that was that was me being able to talk to people about exactly these experiences and and I found that I needed it less after a certain point. I was like, you can hear it in my voice in some of those shows. I was really needy as far as like, I, I was like searching for, yeah. for my own self. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just listened to your, your, um, some of your excerpts from your new book. You put that in your podcast feed. I mean, I think. Oh, I still, I still put things in it. And honestly, great, I, I, I'm using it to there, promote. Right? Yeah. I use it to promote the books and stuff a little bit more than I, yeah. than any kind of news source, which yeah. I'm, yeah. which is fine, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're doing a good job narrating your book, though. I mean, it sounds really good. Oh, thank you, thank you. It's yeah. funny because, like, you, I got to be really careful because, I mean, it's totally solitary thing. You just sit. And I actually go into a closet. I'm in the closet, and I've got these curtains and stuff, so it's got great sound. And then I just sit there alone, and I could just get closer to the mic and just whisper. And I have to really be careful not to, like, I mean, the the content is the fiction book is kind of you know it's meant to be kind of dramatic and mysterious and and i don't want to like cheat by like whispering the whole book so i gotta be super careful <laughs> what was it like writing a, like a, a fiction i think the hardest thing in my life i've ever done I, <laughs> wow. it was it was a huge depart you know so so the books the the books the research for the owl books were you know, like I was getting a lot of mail. I was, people were contacting me and oftentimes the mail was great. So I had a, I had a total starting point, right? I had a document I could quote from, and I could kind of ponder the questions within the document. I could get back to the person. I could ask some questions. I could marry it to another story that was similar. So I had like a, a wealth of starting material boy with a, with a fiction book, like, wow, the blank page is blank when you start that off. So it was really tough to to stay it's a it's wow it was tough did you seem did, did you, you have it in your head of it sorry oh go ahead Graham. 
Well, I mean, it seemed like you have an act for it. I mean, I didn't get a chance to read the whole book, but I started and listened to your excerpts. And I mean, I feel like you're like, like hitting it right in the nail there. Like you really seem like you're an experienced fiction writer. I was well, I'm right an experienced fiction reader. So I had that going <laughs> for me. So yeah, so I'd read a lot of books and, and it was funny because it was, um, I mean, the main character is me in a lot of ways. That's real. I mean, it's there's some stuff there that's like, oh, that's me talking. There's some things where the main character talks about like creativity and insecurities and art and stuff like that, and that was totally me. And but the um, I bet you I spent I, it's, a year is not right. I, less than a year, but close to a year. I bet I, I spent close to a year going through the the book. And reading it, rereading it, rereading it, and just shortening it down and shortening it down. And if a sentence was long, I would take, I would just figure out a way to make it short. And if there was like a, a thought that wasn't fully thought out, like I would, oh my God, I've spent, I mean, I've probably spent close to a year just scrubbing, scrubbing, taking out words. Taking it. So it, so, so I worked really hard to get it to feel like a, and it's pretty fast paced, the story, to get it to feel like a, like a, like a, like I didn't want to, some friends of mine read it and somebody, a couple few people I really respect who said like, oh, this is, this is a real book. You need to take this seriously. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, like, I had yeah. to, Ooh, I had to work hard to get it to feel like a real book because you can't let, I mean, you, you like, oh, there's like, like every, like one bad sentence in a in a book like that would stand out. You know, if you, if one sentence was unclear or something like that. So I had to really be diligent. When will it be on audio? Oh, you're asking the hardest. So, so the I'm trying to read it and it's going really slow. Yeah, like I'm a terrible, I'm terrible yeah. at reading aloud. And yeah. I, so I, but I'm great at audio editing, but I'm terrible at reading aloud. So I, I feel like I'm reading, this is not quite true, but almost true where I feel like I'm reading every sentence five times and then yeah. picking the best sentence. And then, oh, it's, it's a lot of work, yeah, but yeah. It, I think it'll turn out really well. And when I was writing it, I, I wanted it. To, I was kind of picturing my own voice speaking it. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. What were you going to ask, Darren? Where? Oh, I forget now. Like, did you have the story in you? I think that like was. Did you always have it? Like, how long? Like the fiction thing. Where did that come from? Like, did you just start with the blank page, or did you just like? Did you have a story in your head that you wanted to get out? Has it been dying to get out? Because I mean, fiction to me is just insanely overwhelming. I'm a huge fiction fan as well. Like. I love fiction, but uh, to try and write it seems fucking nuts. Yeah, it was, it was, so, so there's a, there's a line, um, Jim Mars said it because, you know, writing fiction is hard because fiction needs to make sense. Right. So I could just write the owl stories and some of these owl stories are very, very ethereal and they just seem so dreamlike and they don't really have a beginning, middle and end. And, and I love those kind of stories. So it's kind of like, kind of difficult to understand experiences that people have. So that was a lot of, and I didn't have to like, at the end, I was like, I don't know what the owls mean. Like I could say that at the end of a nonfiction book, like I, I it, you know, I have not come to a conclusion as an author, like what these mean, but for fiction, it kind of had to be buttoned up. What happened is, so I was a professional illustrator. I hardly do any illustration work. I haven't done hardly any in the last decade, but that was my job for all my years. Uh, like lived in New York City and worked for ad agencies and I worked for magazines and did book illustrations. But I um, I wanted to do it as a graphic novel. So the story itself, 
the cover of the book here, you know, this is the cover of the book, uh, is got like a kind of comic booky kind of feel to it. So whoop, there it is. It's got, and I did that on purpose. It's kind of, if you literally look at it, it's, it's, it's got a comic book vibe to it. And I did that on purpose because it was going to be a comic book. And I did a handful of sketches in, in, this is going back over a decade in 2010. Not sure if it was 2010 or 11. It might've been 2010. It was definitely 2011. I was working on it. And I wrote a treatment, you know, like it's probably, it was probably eight or nine pages, but it was kind of a good clean outline of the story that I had. And, uh, I, I started drawing it and I started doing some preliminary sketches of how I wanted the color schemes to look and how I wanted the lettering to look. And it went so slow. And as soon as I finished the page, it's like, Oh, I know how I want to change it. And then I would go back in and change it. And I was just going to, it was, and do you know, Chris Knowles, Christopher Knowles, he runs the yep. secret son. Yep. I, I contacted him and he had worked a lot in the comic book industry. And he, he, I said, I'm in the specific novel himself and he interrupted me like oh no man don't do it don't you dare like like you'll drive yourself crazy it's the amount of work is so huge doing a comic book all by yourself would be would be creative suicide because you would just get and it really was so i put it away and then after i finished i wrote a bunch of these other books so it was around 2019 i i kind of was like i found the treatment and then this, it was, I think it was the summer of 2019, I tried picking it up and writing it as a fiction book, and it got nowhere. It went nowhere. It was so frustrating. And then I, I kind of put it away and would pull it out and put it away and pull it out. And, and so I worked on it. This was kind of a, the book is kind of a, a quarantine project. So I put a lot of work into it over the, the pandemic. And then, uh, and it got published in, in May of this year, but it was, it was, it was boiling away in there for 13 years. Right. Right. So we might as well get into the, a, bit, a bit of the, stay on that book for a bit. What's the premise of it? And can you give us a little bit of, uh, or how, how would you sell the book? I guess. Oh, this is tough. So, so it's a, I've done a lot of owl research. So I'm, I'm known as the owl guy. And for the last, like, 18 years or something like that. It was 2009. What is that? That's not quite 18. 2009, that's 14 years. About 14, 15 years. I've been, uh, if anyone anywhere in the world has an experience with a UFO and an owl, and then they type in Google search UFO owl, I come up. And then right at the top of my blog and right at the top of my website, and if I talk on a podcast, I always mention it. If I want to hear your stories, says I want to hear your owl stories right at the top of my page there. And so I've been getting these stories, but a lot of them, like multiple stories a day, goods. And I'm not like, like, this is, this is very narrow. It's just the owl and UFO stuff. And what I, over the years, what has happened is, and I cannot tell you how many times I've written out the words flavor and mood, because people will say, they'll tell me a story. And they'll say, you know, I haven't heard this story exactly, but I've heard many with the same flavor and mood. So I tried to like use some of my own experiences and some of the experiences I've collected and some of the stories I've heard and, and imbue the story with that flavor and mood. Now it's a, it's definitely a story about UFO contact, but I never use the word UFO in it. There's only a couple points. There's only one point when someone sees something in the sky. And then there's just a lot of that implication. So I, what happens is, 
again, I'm not looking at the big grand totality of the UFO mystery. I'm looking at this thin, thin, thin little sliver of people who are, who are, who have UFOs and owls co-joined. And sometimes it's not even UFOs. It's it's just owl stuff. Owls in death and owls in meditation and owls in psychedelic, most particular mushrooms. People have owl experiences. And they seem to have that same flavor and mood. It's a really powerful thing. So, um, I, I've been trying to put that into the story, that feel that that kind of mood and um and i then i at the same time i tried not to make it a typical ufo narrative and it feels much the way i describe it as a combination of twilight zone twin peaks and x-files so the premise is there's an artist who's a thousand percent based on me who has sort of a a crisis of of faith and just walks off into the desert it's a little mysterious why he does it. We find out later in the story why he did it, but it's a little unknown. And, and he has a kind of mystical walkabout, like his his you know journey into the to the self. And there's a lot of internal dialogue in that part of the story. And then he turns his back on one life and he arrives at a little town. And um, a few people, some folks that read the book initially before I had. You know, they they read it and gave me some feedback before it went into publication. Uh, one of them, do you know Josh Cutchin, Joshua Cutchin? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so Joshua Joshua read it, and he got back to me and said, uh, like, I didn't know where this book was going when the guy's out and they're just walking around the desert. Like, like I wasn't sure whether he was going to get anywhere. So, like, in the so it's on the back of the book. It says it, you know, like, he arrives in a town. And um, so it's pretty early on in the story. He's, he's about, it's like less than a quarter of the book that he's out in the, alone in the desert. But he arrives in this little town and then there's like a collective mystery that's at the town. Like, why was he drawn to this town? Why are the other people drawn to the town? What is this mysterious little town? Who are these people? And that becomes a sort of mystery. Some of them are spies. He meets old friends that he hasn't seen in a long time. So it's got this kind of uh, Twin Peaks quality to it. You know, so what's been happening is the people with the owl and UFO experience, that thin, thin thread in the overall subject, they're people telling of contact experiences. Like the, the, the pop culture thing about UFO contact would be, oh, you know, I got taken out of my bedroom and I got taken on board a craft and I was put on a table and, and you know, there's creepy medical exams and, and that's the story that pop culture tells us is out there. I'm not hearing that. Like, I, I guess I've heard it a little bit over the years, essentially pretty much close to zero. What I'm hearing is people telling of these like really powerful coincidences and these really mystical events. And then like a huge life changes in their life where they'll, you know, they'll be going down one track and a, and a powerful synchronicity will happen, often involving an owl. And then their life will just take a take a hard turn and their, their life will be completely changed and different. Those are the stories I'm hearing. So I wanted to, I wanted to tell that story. It's, and at the same time, let me tell you, it is like, if you have, I mean, it, it feels like a comic book in a lot of the way it's kind of big in its themes. And, and I gave myself permission to really go for it as far as plot twists and, and, and the setting and the sparseness of it. So. The owl reports, are they like, so is it generally because uh, I'm an Indian and in, in a lot of Indian cultures, those owls are bad luck. If you see an owl, you know, especially associated with death or 
you know, if you see an owl, a lot of times it means a loved one might die or someone you know is going to die. If you see, sometimes it's three owls. If you see three owls in a row, but it always seems to have some sort of connotation with bad luck and death. So I'm wondering, these reports that you're getting, are they following that vein or is there a positive aspect it's, to some of them? You know, it's interesting because that's the lore. And and that's not the lore everywhere. Like the in the... um you know, in like Scandinavia and such, like the shamanism practices there and the folklore there, the owl is is much less uh, sinister than it is in, especially the, in the Native Americans in North America and especially the, the Southwest. Wow, really, really dark lore there. That lore is in there. I'm getting the vast amount of the stories are surprisingly optimistic and powerful and tell of life changes and so that what i what i'm i'm cautiously saying because again i'm i'm like people are coming to me and they're finding me through ufo type stuff it's funny because i just um i have been saying which is true that the majority of the owls and death stories that i get i've gotten some that are someone will see an owl and then they will find out a loved one died that is a very small percentage of the owls and death type stories that I'm collecting. What is a much bigger and more powerful, and, and had I have my own experience, I'm happy to tell it, but is people will see an owl after a loved one died, most often a parent. And then the, by seeing the owl, here, so a guy sends me a letter and he, he says, I was, my dad died of a heart attack. And I was at the hospital, and I left the hospital, and the doors opened up, the automatic doors. And I, it's nighttime, and I walk out onto the sidewalk. It's late, late, late at night, and no one's there. And the sidewalk has got grass on, the, and on the side of the sidewalk is a little owl. And he walks up to the owl, and he says, "Dad, I, I love you. Thank you for being such a great, was being such a great father. It was an honor to have you as my, as my father. And, I, and, and thank you for." visiting me now no one had to tell him no one like no one that's not in our folklore as, as westerners but i have that story a lot where people will see an owl shortly after a, a parent most often a parent died and they will talk to it as if they're it's their deceased parent and with that the grieving either lessens or evaporates completely it's very consistent so, that said, I have heard, in fact, it's funny, just a few days ago, I got a letter and one guy counted off six really powerful stories where saw an owl, same day, my wife's father died. Saw an owl, the same day, my sister died. Saw an owl, you know, three days later, my aunt died. So, that, so and he had six examples of that. And then he contacted me because this summer, I just got to be careful. I don't want to give anything away. He saw three owls on a bridge and he said it scared, it shook him up so much. Like it, he said he was shaking. He was so emotionally impacted by that. And he said, he basically asked me, what does it mean? And I, I like, I can't answer what it means, but um, there was no associated death with that, the, the three owls on the bridge. And that was over the summer so it's been six months or so hopefully that was just the, like the end of it that was the that, that's exactly what i speculated but i certainly can't know yeah so 
is that uh, in the book, I guess, I mean, it seems like it would make a good movie. We should make a little movie out of it. Of what? The, the fiction the book? Novel, the novel. Yeah. yeah the oh, novel. man. I say it. When people talk to me, I'll talk about the book. And then I'll just say, oh, and in the movie, this and this and this. I totally pictured it in my head as a movie. <laughs> totally pictured it in my head. I, I put a blog post up with, with music. There's music that I'm like, this music is going to... I didn't say it in the blog post, but there's some songs. Like, this song is playing in this scene. And yeah, I was very... Ooh, I was, I was very... Uh, uh, I totally saw it 100% as a movie in my mind. What's your take on owls, if you see one? Do you see a lot of owls? See them all the time. See them all the time. Now, I granted, I'm in a place with a lot of owls. I'm in the Pacific Northwest right outside of Seattle. I live in uh, across in the islands here, and, and uh, there's a lot of owls here. So I hear them. I hear them almost every night, just out my window, all night long, every night, pretty much every night. And uh, freak you out a little bit, no, not at all. Like, not not even it. when you were doing like the what about like back in the beginning when you're doing the hidden experience thing, getting the creepy stories all the time, and then you're going to sleep and all these owls are fucking hooting out your window. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, that was a it was I've calmed down a lot since then. You know, it's 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 um, I've I I burned up a lot of energy. And a lot of tension and a lot of, there was a lot of, that was a, there was a rough chapter of my life. And that's the chapter I was doing the podcast when I said, ah, that was my therapy. Um, I think I just got tired of, of, I had a powerful event in 2013 that, that, that alleviated the, that anxious chapter of my life. And, and I know people who are going through that same kind of, flood of synchronicities and it can be crazy making and so i'm at a point now where i i, I and this is like a decree this is like something i really had to force myself to do where i no longer allow myself to be astonished by the synchronicities or the paranormal type stuff that sometimes shows up in my life i can be in awe but i can't be astonished astonished to mean almost like being frightened it's your adrenaline it's you know i can't let myself do that and so I'm a, I, I can still be in awe of the power and the mystery of it, but I can't let it, let it bring me down or let it, I can't turn into the person I was between 2006 and 2013, where I was pretty shaky those years. Funny, it's kind of answering my question I was going to ask you is, I guess the, the title of the book is The Unseen, right? Mm-hmm. The Unseen. And my question was going to be, how has the, has your view of the unseen kind of changed over the last 10 years, you know, over the last eight years, it's, it seems like, uh, I, yeah, I'll leave it at that. Well, the first book, the first owl book, the messengers was, was kind of a conglomeration of like, I just had this wealth of stories from the blog, from my own experiences, from people reaching out to me. And as I was working on the, the, the book, I was getting, like I would get to a chapter and they'd be like, oh, I just need like just the right story. Like, the, like you know, like some chapter, you know, one chapter would be called Owls and Death and one would be called Owls and Shamanism and one would be called Owls and Mythology, you know. And so I just like, oh, I just I just need the right story to make this chapter coalesce. And I would go to bed and I'd get up in the morning and then I'd open my email inbox and the perfect story would have arrived. That <laughs> happened so many times. That I just like, I was like, whoa, there's like magic taking place in the process of writing this book. So I feel like my 
ideas about the whole subject were pretty well cemented in place when during the writing process of that first book, which is about a depending where you start and finish, it was it was about a two or three year process to write that book. And it's changed you know, there's little nuances of things that have come out a little more since then. And but I feel like I'm kind of like I feel I feel like I have a good handle on the mystery. What it may mean I can't answer. I uh in the in the in the second book, I, I listed off four reasons of what owls might mean. And and even those are kind of vague and wishy-washy. So I could happily read that little bit if you want. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Let me just see if I got it here. I had the books on my desk here. Just... Let me get if I remember correctly, that was like a big part of the podcast. I think that was like, I was always into the synchronicity stuff. And that's that's that, and that's what I'm hearing from people. People aren't talking about, people don't talk about being on a table or being. No, almost nobody even talks about UFOs. Nobody says, "Oh, I saw a UFO." Like I never hear that. I mean, I certainly do, but um, but that's not. They talk about incredible synchronicities, and 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 so that like I'm, I'm not really just interested in the synchronicity. I want to know how that impacted your life. I want to know what was yeah. going on in your life leading up to the synchronicity. I want to know what changed after. It's the same with um. With a with a powerful owl sighting, and it's the same with a uh, a UFO sighting. I want to know what do you was rate them. Pardon? Do you, have, do you have them like so? You must have just a collection of all these synchronicities. Do you like rate them? You know, I try not up? to. I try no. not to rate them. A little, you know, it's funny because it's like someone tells you a story, and it's like you know how someone tells you a dream, and you're like, well, they're like, oh my god, I had the most incredible dream, and they tell you the dream, and I was like, eh, it's not that <laughs> great of a dream. Over, yeah. As soon as as soon as I hear like. Got to tell you about my dream. It's already glazing over. Yeah, well, I don't glaze over, but I. So, but what it is is, I can tell what I'm trying to tap into. Not so much as how the story affects me, but how it affected them. Somebody, somebody will say like, I. This one woman said I. I was working at, at a job, and she was also working there. And the people, everyone at the job, went to a restaurant, and I said like, "Oh, I just I'm working. At, like you're writing stuff on owls." I'm like, "Yeah." She said, and and she overheard that, and she said, "Oh, I had the most." I had a, I had an experience with owls that changed my life. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let's hear it. And she said, I saw three owls. And I'm like, what was, what, how did it change your life? And she said, oh, just changed my life. And I'm like, she had no idea who I was. And I'm like, you got to give me a little something. And she, and then she said, she, I said, I, well, I said, when did it happen? And she said, oh, she said, August 22nd. And I went, August 22nd is my birthday. So I don't, you know, and then I never got back. She never got back to me and I don't know what happened. So I just thought, but I thought that was very funny that. I hope so she here, Pardon? I hope she didn't die from the owl. She's thing. not. She's, she's a Facebook okay. friend and I see her okay, pictures okay. all the time. So. Okay. Um, What's this question on the screen from Jade Birchyard? Not a, not a question, but more historic because it's kind of creepy. I mean, the desert. Uh, and a friend and I saw a coyote or a dog or a cat jump into the center of the road in front of us, illuminated by the headlights. Its shape shifted into an owl and flew off. We Whoa. Tell him to get a hold of me. I want to hear that story more thoroughly. Yeah. It's... All right, Jay Bircher, you heard it. You heard the man. Get a hold yeah. of him. Let him know the story. Have you heard so of shape shifting owls or anything like that? I mean, the coyote to me is interesting because the coyote is also a very... Uh, powerful actor in a lot of Native American folklore. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's in a very different kind of depending whether I guess every 
every tribe and culture has its own set of mythologies, folklore and mythologies and such. So, um, but you know, it's, I've heard some sort of shape-shifting stories. I've often, I've heard owls shape-shifting into people or I've heard owls with, with human faces. I've certainly heard that. So, but um, never exactly that. Oh, well, here's what I'm doing it. It's, I've heard that, though I have never heard that story exactly, I've heard many stories with that same sort of flavor and mood. Like that story has a mood to it. It's only a sentence long, but I like, ooh, I, that's got a mood to it. So, but I, that's what I'm interested in is that, you know, why are people being confronted with these dream-like events? And then the owl is like a powerful symbol in the Illuminati. Like, I it's, don't know, you don't even have to believe in the Illuminati, but it seems to be like, you know, that's the symbol. Is that right, Graham? Am I it's Bohemian that, right? Grove, yeah. Right. So, so it's interesting. So now, now Bohemian Grove, I, I did a little bit of research on this and trying to, oh my God, trying to use the internet to, to research Bohemian Grove is crazy. Uh, a lot of stuff I don't think is true that's online, doesn't make it true. But uh, so inside, the, there's a club, there's a Bohemian Grove, which is a compound in north of San Francisco. And in San Francisco proper, there's, a, there's kind of a gentleman's club, a business club called the Bohemian Club. And it has an owl as its symbol. And when you go into the club, and there's like, <clears throat> you know, they <clears throat> they have a website and everything. So you can, <clears throat> excuse me. You can go in and, um, I mean, like, there's pictures of inside. And there's images of the goddess Athena everywhere. So the goddess Athena is present in sculptures and in little quotes. And, uh... There's a the the line above the door says weaving spiders come not here, and that's traces back to a the myth of Arachnia, which is uh, Arachnia was a woman who was a weaver, and she challenged Athena, who's not only the goddess of wisdom but the goddess of like arts and crafts. They they had a competition to who would make a more beautiful tapestry. And Arachnia made this tapestry and woven into the tapestry with all these kind of like wry, sardonic, playful images, kind of kind of uh, embarrassing type images of the gods and goddesses. And Athena was so angry, she turned Arachnia into a spider. And that's where we get the term arachnid for spiders. And And so, and then weaving spiders come not here is an also like a, a catchphrase for don't bring your day job into the club. So so it's got sort of a double meaning, but there's all kinds of images of Athena and Athena had a companion owl. She's often pictured with an owl, a little owl. It's not very big. It's only like a little owl on her wrist most often, but that is her symbol is the owl. And so like, I think that the, the owl is the symbol of the Bohemian club more because it's associated with, with, with uh, Athena the goddess Athena, and and that great big giant owl, stone owl. I think there was a natural stone there in the Bohemian Club that's that's kind of on the water, and they do the kind of performances in front of it, whether they're rituals or whether they're, you know, just kind of drunken revelry. I, you know, I'm not sure because I've never been there, but I, I've certainly heard both sides. And that's my understanding that that is a stone structure that has been uh, had some cement added to it, so it looks like an owl. 
Is is the uh, is the big effigy they burn at the Bohemian Grove? Is that the, the thing that they say is an owl, but it's not? Maybe they don't burn the effigy. They burn. There's like the, eff, the the it's a great big. It's like a size of a four story building behind this kind of platform where they do presentations. Whether they burn stuff on, I think they do things like some of the stuff is like symbolic of death and like that they'll burn coffins and burn effigies of people and such. So I don't know if they're burning effigies of owls, but there is a great big owl and it's often pictured with like torches around it and stuff like that. It's so it, it has a spooky sinister look to it. Right. I love the mister. I love, you know, how your, your account and, and your, what you're seeing th- from ufology is sort of mystical as opposed to kind of ET and even interdimensional mm-hmm. it seems to have a mist. Like, when you were talking about everybody having this life-changing synchronicity experience along with owls and UFOs, I was like, what does that mean? I mean, that's, that's so deep. That's so different than just, you know, seeing a UFO from another planet or seeing some interdimensional thing. I mean, it's, 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 it's got almost a, a, a religious, not, I don't even want to say religious, but a mystical feel to it. Yeah, I'm cautious to use the term religious, but it certainly has a mystical quality to it. And it's not everyone, but that's one of the questions I ask. And I, I got to be careful. I don't want to ask leading questions. So so I ask, you know, what was going on in your life leading up to the event, whether it's an owl of synchronicity or a UFO, what changed after? And then I ask, are you a, how would you rate your psychic abilities? And then I would ask, how, do you, how would you rate your um, healing abilities? Do you have any healing abilities? And then I ask, have you ever seen a UFO? So sometimes it, but so, um, so here's a, this here's a story. This is one that's, uh, there's a woman in England, her name is Maria Wheatley, and she does, uh, re- she does a little bit of crop circle research, but she also does a lot of work in sacred spaces, most particularly in, in the UK, though she travels all over the world and look, goes to sacred spaces. And she was with a friend, and they, they were going to go on a walk in the evening in the, in the English countryside, and there's a trail that goes through the forest. So they were, they got out of the car, they had their car parked, they went to walk down the trail and a white owl flew right in front of them. And they both had the same feeling like, oh, we're not allowed on this trail. Like it bisected the trail. And they said, we can't cross that line. They both felt it. So they turned around and there was a hilltop nearby. It's called Oliver's Castle. And I think some of the hill, didn't have a castle on top, but some, that's what they call the hill there, Oliver's Castle. So they walked up to the top of the hill and watched the sunset from the summit. And as they were looking at the nighttime, you know, the sun setting, they saw a ball of orange glowing light. And it was kind of floating towards them and it got really big. And then it like got huge, like a giant cigar shaped ship. And then it got closer and then it shrunk down and then it poof, disappeared. And it freaked them both out. So they ran down to get back in the car and and she said he was shaking so hard he could hardly get the key in the ignition or in the, to unlock the door. So they they went to the pub, and he as said, you, as you do. "It's in England, yeah, it's in England in crop circle country." So they went to the pub afterwards, and he said that he could read everyone's mind at the pub, and it scared him. He did not like it, but he could read everyone's mind. And she said she had been doing tarot work. She was working as doing tarot readings. And she said after that event, her ability and her insights and her her sort of psychic skills in conjunction with the tarot reading just like vaulted up exponentially. She said it eventually eased back down, but it never went back down to that old place. She felt she had gained a new higher skill at doing tarot readings. So that's um 
so that's the kind of thing I'm really looking for and asking. So here's something that's strange that I've I've told this to to uh, on podcasts and I've told other researchers and they're saying you shouldn't share that you can't share that I'm like of course I can I can share this is like like I'm not that they're like I'm not like it's not proprietary so this guy um excuse me so I talk to people all the time about owls and their experiences most associated with UFOs. And I have a clipboard when, I, when I'm working, right? So I'll talk to a lot of people on the phone. I just have a clipboard. I make some notes. I don't make much. I just type the phone number and time, you know, the date. And so if I ever get, if they ever call back again, I can refer back to the sheet of paper. And then in the corner of the paper, I write Reiki. And I just wait. And somewhere in the conversation, they'll say, not everyone, but damn near everyone will say, Oh, if I'm working as a Reiki healer, or I just got my level three Reiki certification. So, so, or if they're not doing Reiki proper, they're doing some form of energy healing that's very similar to Reiki healing. And it's like, I don't have a staff. I would love to go through all my files and crunch the numbers. And it's tough, right? Because you talk to someone and you don't write it down. And they said, oh, yeah, I had an all experience. And, you know, I'm a Reiki healer. You know, so I'm, this is anecdotal. But I would say that over half the people who contact me, at least half the people, let's say, that have an owl and UFO experience are also Reiki healers. Wow. Like that, like 50% of the general public is not a Reiki healer. But no. 50% of the people with owl and UFO experiences are doing Reiki healing or some wow. modality very similar to Reiki. That's fascinating. I have a question about the couple that were were going down the path, the the path mm-hmm. through the forest, and that white owl blocked her or flew by. Did they not go on the path and they went to the castle instead, or they did they continue down the path? No, they turned around. They turned around. They one turned right around back and to, went the other way. It was the same parking back. lot. It was. It's my understanding. It was the same parking lot. Yeah, yeah. That led to. So they just turned around and they, went. They back went the other way. way. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Eh? How that 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 stopped them and then that happened. I mean. Yeah. So here's another story. This is this is like I love when I get these stories like that kind of mirror each other. Do you know who Bert Jansen is? He's a crop circle researcher. He was. He's doing all kinds of esoteric research now. He's wonderful, engaging, super entertaining performer and great, funny, gregarious character. So he's Dutch, and he was living in. He was spending his summers in the UK doing crop circle research. It's going back in the '90s, I think. And he, at the end of the summer been a few summers in a row he he said so this is a question what was happening leading up to the experience he said you know i'm done three i'm a bunch handful of years in a row coming back to crop circle country like i've seen it what am i going to know there's no new information i'm done i'm i'm quitting after the season and he looks off and there's this orange ball of light floating above the crops and it floats along and he's standing all alone in this field and at the edge of the field is a shed. And the ball of light kind of gets a little bigger and a little smaller and it floats along and it's floating across and it goes behind the shed and he's kind of watching it as it flies along. And when it gets to the shed, it should have come out the other side, but it didn't. And he's like, what happened? What? So he goes up to the sh- sh- shed and puts his ear against the, the, the door and he hears this awful hissing, this hiss, hiss, like really creepy hissing. And he's like, ooh, uh, it was getting dark. And he's like, I'm coming back tomorrow. So he came back the next day. 
And he walked around the back of the shed, and right at the level, up higher in this shed, more like a little barn, um, there was a window with a, one pane of broken glass. And that was right at the level that the... And he's like, Did, could the orb have gone in the shed? Could the orb have gone in the shed, the glowing orb? So he goes to the front, and the door's locked, and he listens to the door, and there's this awful hissing noise. Hiss! Hiss! And, he, and I, God bless him, he breaks the lock and goes in. And then he goes in, and when it's, once he's in, there's a loft with a ladder. And he, the hissing noise is coming from the loft. So he climbs the ladder and peeks over the edge, and there's a family of white owls. And they're, they're, they're barn owls, and they do make a really, you can listen to it, they make this kind of eerie, screechy, demonic kind of hiss noise. They don't, they don't hoot like bigger owls. And so he was like, like, what is it? So he's since had a lot of white owl experiences. And he's like, so all of a sudden they were, they, they were essentially the same thing in his mind. The white owl was the same thing as the orange orb. So here we have in the same area, very close, same area, Wiltshire County in, in Southern England. Bert Jansen has an experience where an orange orb leads him to a white owl. Maria Wheatley has an experience where a white owl leads her to an orange orb. <laughs> I love it. So, so uh, and, and, uh, and yeah. And so, and Bert has had many other owl experiences since then. Yeah. So. Wow. Clearly, you're not freaked out by him at all, though. I mean, I guess you just get numb to it. I am. Well. I'm pretty. I'm pretty. Like, it's funny. Like, I, I, uh, I've been with people and seen owls, and they get all freaked out, and I'm like, that's just a bird. It's like, it's like, you know. And I see a lot of owls where I'm like, there's nothing paranormal going on. It's just a pretty bird, and and it's an honor to see them. They're pretty cool animals and stuff like that. So I, I guess I'm. Yeah, I don't really get freaked out in the same way that I would have at one point. Any other birds or just owls? Oh, there's lots of bird stories. Sometimes the bird stories will have like a different flavor to them. Hawks, for instance, are, you know, hawks fly high in the sky in the sun, right? They're totally visible. They're high in the sky in the sun. They have vision that can see a long distance so they can look down and see a mouse or a rabbit on the ground. Eagles and hawks, the, the lore of the, of the owl is they fly in the forest at night. So the forest has a totally different like this, the, the the bright sky, you know, Zeus lived on a mountaintop and he was, he had a companion eagle and he was just, he was, his dramas and his issues were all about like lust and ego and conquering and just these kind of physical manly embodiment of, of just like the human side of humans, basically jealousy and rage and anger and the owl flies at night in the forest and and that very quickly i mean so the 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 lore that's if you're going to have one consistent thread of the owl mytho mythological lore is that the owl flies at night and so it's only been a few generations that we've had an electric light bulb so it was not very long ago you know my great grandfather's age the before the advent of the light bulb, the forest meant something totally different than it does now, right? So the forest was a place of testing, was a place of darkness, was a place of fear, was a place of mystery. So the owl can fly into the darkness 
complete darkness, what we would call complete darkness, with perfect freedom. And that became a metaphor for flying to the, that other realm, the land of the dead, the land of the no. gods, the land of our ancestors. And then the owl returns. And that's where I got the, and they come back with a message. So they're coming back with a message from the god, from the ancestors, from other realm, a message from the dead. So that's the consistent thread. Now, Athena, the goddess of wisdom, had a little companion owl. So she's wisdom is associated with this night issue. It's a feminine issue. The the um and the eagle and the hawk are like daylight issues, bright daylight in the sky. The I've been seeing a ton of bald eagles lately. Where are you living? God, just outside of Calgary, Alberta. Oh, right on. Okay, yeah. So um but I don't like see them all the time or anything like that. You know, I see them once in a while, but lately in the in threes. So two groups. Oh, wow. Do you just keep track of that? Do you keep a diary, like a dream diary or a diary of that kind of stuff? No, no. Mm. But I, you know, I just kind of, I definitely noticed it where I was like, huh, yeah. there's a bunch of eagles. And then just yesterday, the day before, I was coming up the road in Chester and I was like, huh, there's a bunch of eagles there again. Three of them running around getting chased by or chasing ravens. Yeah, they're, they're, so the ravens, yeah, the ravens and eagles, and so also ravens and owls are total enemies, and they'll they'll they harass each other big time. Um, so I was hoping that means there's a bunch of freedom on my way, you know, somewhere in my path. Uh, I'm free, yeah, owl is. A, I mean, soon the eagle, whether it's freedom, and I'm not sure necessarily it's freedom, but but I would say it would be. Now I'm I'm not good. At, I'm. It would be a daylight sort of issue. It would be sort of an above the waterline sort of an issue, where the owl, I would say, is a below the waterline sort of issue that it's trying to reflect back at you. So and I'm being very be like, loose with that. Ego could be like winning the lottery. Could be winning lottery, like yeah. like pragmatic day to day stuff. Yeah, that's better almost, you know, in some ways. Well, you have to you have to deal with both, right? Yeah, you you're, do. You're, yeah, but it's easier to deal with it with a bunch of lottery money. It, well, I well, let's say not good. <laughs> Hopefully, it does happen, but yeah, well. It might not be something that's that that sim- simplistic, but hopefully, hopefully it's. Yeah, I guess it's usually good though. I mean, even if the owls are good, the eagle can't be bad. I mean, it's the America bird, right? Oh, it's. I mean, the eagle was. I mean, the eagles and all kinds of English imagery too. It's not a bald eagle. They don't. They don't have bald eagles. I don't think in the in in the Europe. I think they're all like what we would call like a. Gold eagle, yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't call. I wouldn't say it's an American. I mean, it's certainly an American symbol, but it doesn't. That doesn't mean that it's its only symbol. And then also, I mean, if you're you're, what's your lineage as far as being Native American? Uh, oh, you're you're, can, you're not. Ojibwe. You're from Canada, so you're you're not American at all. Yeah. Yeah, Ojibwe, Anishinaabe. And what's the lore there? For, for owls? For, for eagles? eagles? I don't know. I should look it up. Actually, it didn't occur to me to to look into that. I know the owls, and I know like muskrats are good, and coyotes are generally lucky. Yeah. And then, um, so you can look at it two ways, right? So if you're in a landscape, you know, someone goes to the, like I had some powerful coyote experiences down in southern Utah, which is like the Navajo, Zuni, Hopi kind of corner of the state there. And the coyote has got a very pronounced sort of trickster, playful energy there. Uh, it might be different somewhere else. And then, so 
And then the other way to look at it is my lineage is Scottish and Danish, which is kind of Northern European type mythologies. So, so it might be connected either to your lineage or it might be connected to the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to mention about the landscape, like you mentioned in the, the Southwest, how there's, there's a lot of, um, a lot of the native lore about the owls is, is that they're, they're not good. And then you think about what's happening now at the Skinwatcher Walker Ranch and all the, the weird stuff that's going on. Like it almost feels like it could be geographically depending on, you know, ley lines or whatever kind of portals shit is going on in, in places compared to, you know, maybe that stuff isn't happening in, in uh, Scandinavia, for example, you know, they have a different experience with the owl because it's not, you know, some shape-shifting thing from another dimension. Yeah. Um, uh, George Knapp, who wrote the one of the Skinwalker, the first and second Skinwalker book, the one Skinwalker's stalking the Skinwalker. I can't remember what the first one was. And the other one is uh, Skinwalkers in the Pentagon. But he... I spoke to him and he said that um, when he went to Skinwalker Ranch, there were a couple Native American guys and there were some scientists and an owl flew by night. And he said, wow, did the Native Americans were like, they were like, no, like this is, this is not good. And it just didn't, the, the other people were completely unconcerned. So there was just this, this, this cultural divide in the symbolism of the owl. And I would sort of be somewhere in the middle. I'd say, well, this is a sign. I, you know, like, from my direct experience with talking with people, with working with people, I don't necessarily find the sign is, is bad. It certainly implies, um, here, I'll tell a story. A woman got a hold of me during the writing of, this is one of those stories when I was like, Oh, like, well, I gotta get a, like, like I need the story to finish this chapter. This woman got a hold of me and she was, uh, she asked me not to tell me. So she was living on the West coast and she would walk her dog and and she would walk out in a big long jetty when she would walk the dog like a big long pier out into the water and and it was pouring down rain one day and she took her dog and went out for a walk and it was pouring down rain she gets about halfway out the jetty with long goes way out into the salt water and she's like what am i doing what am i doing out here this like like it's horrible. I would never come out here and walk in this weather. So she turns around, and when she turns around and she's facing back the way she came, there's an owl standing in her path. <laughs> and it's this great big owl. And she said her dog is super high strung. And and the dog just sat there, totally calm, like it was confronting royalty. And she just looked at this owl for the longest time and eventually it flew off and she went back home. Now, in that chapter of her life, she was dealing with a lot of UFO contact issues. She was working with a therapist. She was part of a support group. She was trying to deal with this issue in her life. After seeing the, uh, the big owl, she noticed a pain in her arm and she went to see a doctor and she had cancer. And she went through traditional chemotherapy and it, and it almost killed her. She said, I got, I, got a, I got a breath away from death and I beat it. And I've been cancer-free. I can't remember what it was now. 15 years when I, and that's probably eight years ago I've talked to her. So she's been, you know, probably getting close to 25 years of being cancer-free. And, and I said, did you, th- do you think the owl like was trying to heal you from cancer? Like, what do, what do you think it was? Cause the owl showed up just before she was diagnosed. 
And she said, I think the owl was there to tell me that life was going to be challenging. Like, I think the owl is a totem. It's not a light totem. I don't think it's necessarily bad, but it, it often marks a challenge in someone's life. A challenge isn't necessarily bad. It can be hard work, but it's not necessarily bad. And then I asked her, well, okay, so that was leading up to what changed after the owl thing. She said, before that owl sighting, before the cancer, I was scared of my own shadow. I was after this, after all I've been through, I am scared of nothing. Mm. So that that's the most poetic part of the story that she, for me, that she she came through this thing and is now, in essence, fearless. Yeah. Wow. Another great, great story. Fascinating. So what do you think about the, I mean, do you have any thoughts on the latest uh, kind of UAP disclosure uh. stuff? Are you intertwined in all that? Do you get dragged in? Mm, uh, you it's really clear of that. I'm totally staying clear of it. Totally staying clear of it. You know, it's funny. My, my focus in my research is this elusive, mystical, that mood, that flavor, that's just tipping into dream logic, that's tipping into mythology, where, where real life is reflecting ancient myths. And again, I'm looking at, I couldn't be more myopic. Like I, yeah. couldn't, I couldn't be looking through the microscope at a tinier piece of the big puzzle. Like I'm not standing back looking at the grand collective of the UFO mystery. I'm like focused on this tiny, tiny little thing of UFOs and owls. And from that, I'm getting this kind of, I want to be really careful. It's not necessarily optimistic, but it's certainly not bad, the things that I'm finding or the, or the stories that are emerging. I certainly have some that are scary, yeah, yeah. but yeah. scary doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah, exactly. So I, I guess that's sort of the other part of the question is I've thought that the phenomena is going to react to this accelerated disclosure, whatever's true or not. Like, there's more people believing in all this stuff than ever. The phenomena will react in some way. Um, well, I I'm getting a lot. I'm have getting you a seen little... an increase? Have you seen any any kind of like uh, increase in, in your little thin slice of it at oh. all? Any change? Any shift? Oh, so many more stories are arriving. At the same time, I'm I'm becoming, you know, each year I'm a little more well-known. It's a li little easier to search me out. Uh, you know, the books have been been around long enough that there's, they're kind of, you know, people know about them. So if someone does have an owl experience, they're gonna I got a letter this morning. Someone went out the last night. Might not have been last night. Within the last few days. And she's, she went out to look at the stars and she was just kind of like, wow, this is beautiful. And she said, like, I would love to make, like, you know, like, connect with some sort of, like, cosmic family. And she's, at that point, she saw a, a little dot of light that, like, like, made a sharp right angle turns in the sky. And right as that was happening, she heard an owl hooting. At the same time. And she's like, wow. Like, it really, so she, she came in and she Googled UFOs, owls, and she found me and she sent me a letter, like, that's i had a woman she was riding her bike home from the gym she's an owl crossed her path and she looked up in the sky and saw like basically a metal flying saucer <laughs> she got she was on the, so then she she like like right with her phone like googled ufo owls found me sent me a text we were talking within like three minutes wow 
of her of her having that experience. She had no idea what to make of it. And since then, her life has kind of become unhinged with all kinds of UFO-type experiences. Or let's say the wow. type of experiences that, you, that people who have UFO contact will report. These powerful synchronicities, these kind of mystical experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, it's fascinating. Before we start to wrap up, like, I mean, you're the synchronicity guy. You must have, like, what's your... We kind of used to rate them around here. We do still sometimes. I mean, yours are, if I remember, we did this last time and it was a 10. The one you brought up was a 10 for sure. Do you have any new ones that are kind of jaw droppers? I mean, those, these really, these little synchronicity things, it's crazy because when we started out, they weren't that big. And your show might have been one of the only ones talking about it. And we kind of picked it up from there. And, you know, there's a few shows talking about it, but not a lot. It's, but now it's sort of ubiquitous and it's, uh, you know, it seems to be almost a little thing that can get people to come over. It's like when this crazy coincidence that's just fucking too much and they just don't have time for the paranormal or any of the crazy stuff, but then something happens and they're just like, what the fuck just happened? Wow, I got a lot of them. Let me, I got to think for a little bit because I mean, I just get a lot of them. So here's a story I don't think I've. This is, this just happened. This was actually last summer, but, um, wow, this is a tough one. Okay. So, so there's a, there's a park right across the street from me and then behind the park, and this is the Northwest. So there's like blackberries that are like, like 15 foot wall of blackberries. And then there's the back, the baseball diamond, the outfield fence. So it's this little corridor. It's not quite, you know, you could, you could go like this and touch one hand to the fence and one hand to the blackberries and you got to walk the, the entire length of the behind the outfield fence to get to this to this trail that goes to a park so i walk there all the time it's right outside the door here so i'm i i'm coming home and i see a little bird hopping in the grass and i can tell something's wrong and i go up and the bird it's this is actually kind of a gross sad story but this it was a robin a male robin and it it's it had must have flown into the fence and its head was essentially almost like his neck was broken. And so that it was jumping around. Its head was like bobbling upside down, like almost not connected. And it was jumping around and I was like, Oh no, this is awful. And I, and I followed it around and I, there was, there's like some trash, like in one little corner there. So I actually, I spoke aloud to this little Robin and I said, I can end your life if you want me to. And, and I, like, it was really sad. This thing was going to die. And then I said, I can, and I actually kind of managed to touch it and it kind of got scared and it hopped off into the blackberry bushes. So there's no way I could do anything. So I had, this is, I had a rock and then it, there was like a sharp little piece of a, like a, of a board, you know, like a pallet, like the sharp little block of wood. And I was ready to, to end this poor little bird's life. And I can, um, I have a cat, so I've, killed, I've ended up doing that to a lot of mice over the decades. Um, so, oh, are you frozen? Can you see me? Yep, uh, you are frozen, but we can still hear you. Okay, so so I um, uh, so I took the, so I just set the, the rock and the little piece of wood, on a, right and right at the edge of the fence, and the owl had hopped off somewhere far away, not far away, but I mean you know twenty feet away. And then the next day, I go on this walk almost every day. I came back and I was walking along and on 
the the piece of wood and the rock laying on top of the piece of wood and the rock was the dead robin oh my god yeah that's all you know the day uh i can't remember i think it was the day before might have been the day before the day after i messed up my finger hunting um didn't see bigfoot but uh oh that was the last show anyway I uh, there's a bird and it, I must have like I turned around to do something maybe go to the bathroom and I came back and there's this little bird on the ground right next to my truck and it must have like flown into the into the window or into the side or something like that and uh, I was holding a little bird I thought he was gonna die for sure I was like it was the same thing his head was kind of fucked up but it kind of seemed like he was bouncing back at the same time and uh, so I was like and I had guns so I would have just shot the motherfucker I was out getting ready to go hunt ducks. So I just set him on the little back of my truck there. And I was like, well, I'm going to give you a few minutes, little dude. Then I'm going to shoot you, you know, because if your neck's all fucked up and you can't fly, you're just going to freeze to death tonight. So I'll just shoot you and, you know, that'll be the end of it. And uh, I got everything ready. He was still there. I sort of picked him up again. And I was like, well, I'll try and like just picking him up and throwing him and seeing if he flies away. And if he flies away, I'll leave him. So I, picked him up and he flew around a little wise and he came back and landed like right on the little ridge of my door where the door where the window rolls down into and then uh i went to touch him again to see if i could touch him and, he, and then he flew off and never came back what was going on in your life leading up to this i i it might have been the day before i broke my finger it, was, it might have been the day before the day after i can't remember okay hmm. but uh <laughs> i don't know no we were getting ready for an event I'm getting ready to move. I was going duck hunting. I just shot some elk. I had a successful elk hunt. I mean, I had a great hunting season. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. It was, everything was good, I think. I can't remember if it was the day before or the day after I broke my finger. I don't remember having a fucked up finger. It must have been the day before. Wow. That's interesting, yeah. So yeah. how did, how do you oh, think yeah, that trigger finger? I think that bird... No. no. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, I can see it there. Yeah, your ring finger. Doctor yeah. says I'm not allowed to shoot anymore, though. She wasn't happy. I was out shooting skeets all weekend. <laughs> so I got to take two weeks off, maybe one. Oh, the doctor wasn't happy that you were doing that. Oh, jeez. No, she says the vibrations are bad. Oh, uh, bad vibes. Can't have bad vibes. Bad vibes. No. <laughs> yeah. So, what do you? How do you think that bird ended up back on the the thing, the board? I mean, isn't that crazy? Like. Oh, I don't know. I mean, it's it, I mean, that it's, was like that was like its implement of death. That was yeah. like I was going to kill him with that little piece of board, and 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 smashed. You know, use the rock to kill him. He thought you made him a little grave to die on. That's a, yeah, that's a great. But he couldn't. He was. He was. Part. His his couldn't see. His head was like barely connected. I know we. I know we wanted. I just want to mention this one thing. I know we talked. Probably talked about it eight years ago because this is such a an amazing part about the owls, but somebody mentioned in the, in the chat, catastrophic new England there, perhaps they're a species more commonly used for eyes and ears agents like Mr. Smith observing key points in people's lives. And I mean, even in dungeons and dragons and all these other lore, like the owls have the, the wisdom, the big eyes and the ears to see and hear, like they are the perfect vehicle. If somebody was going to use that, that's animal as a vehicle for observance yeah. or, you know, and then somebody mentioned our owls, the watchers that was M. Lansing. 
Well, the watches is a biblical term, and that can mean any number of things. So the owls certainly have that vibe. Wow. You, so here's what happens. So people say, like, I talk to people all the time. Hey, you're the owl guy. And it's like, oh, I saw an owl in my backyard. And and uh, and it was really cool. Like, Bob, but it was, it's, there's no story to it, right? They just saw an owl. And they say it had, um, it had this presence, this magnificent, eerie presence. Like, it's like seeing an owl is not like seeing a bunny rabbit, you know? So they have that presence. But then I speculate in the first book that, that owls could be used, right? So, so if the, there's all kinds of stories of the UFO occupants putting implants into people and what the purpose of those implants is kind of unknown, but if they can put them in people, they can put them in owls, right? So there's no better animal to be sort of, let's say a, uh, an organic drone doing the bidding of, let's say, the UFO occupants, right? So they could just land on a tree. They've got magnificent hearing. It's 100 times better than our hearing. So if you're talking in the house and they're on the tree outside the window, they can hear everything you're saying. (laughs) And they've got night vision, so they can can watch you. And they can fly in total silence, so they can follow you without you knowing – it's perfect. I don't know if it's it's a it's a, it was a fun avenue of speculation. I don't really know what to think. It yeah. doesn't correlate with the rest of my research cleanly. You know, like I have no evidence that the owl is connected to the ETs. Here's what I can say. This is actually something that I'm that has changed and has gotten much stronger in the last few years. I used to say, you know, my initially my research was owls and UFOs, and then since then. I realized, and that's since collecting all the stories, it's it's also connected to owls are mushrooms or psychedelics, meditation, lots of people meditating. They'll often meditate with their eyes closed and they'll open their eyes and there'll be an owl staring in at them from the window <laughs> or, they'll, or they'll be outside and they'll meditate and, and they'll open their eyes and an owl's on the branch staring at them. That's pretty common. Um, owls and death, where owls will show up around the time of the death. Owls and shamanic initiation, shamans going through the initiation rites in their culture, whether it's in their tribe, will have, um, will have, like it's well understood in the community of shamans that owls show up around the time of initiation. So that's one, two, three, four, five. I think that's it. And and um, so I'm saying that in owls and UFOs, so that so the UFO is connected to. I'm saying that the owl is connected to these highly charged human events. And and it's not necessarily that the owl is connected to the UFO. The owl is connected to highly charged U- uh, human events, of which UFO contact most assuredly is a highly charged human event. So it's it's not that the owls are only locked into UFOs. They're they're. It's it's more that the owl is locked into the highly charged human event. So I'm I'm much more. Let's say I'm. I'm it's fascinating for me that the that it's the it's these highly charged human events, all of which are kind of bordering on the mystical mushrooms, yeah, psychedelics, yeah. shamanic initiation, yeah. um, meditation, death, UFOs. I mean, those are all around the mystical thing. It, you know, it's funny. I like near death experience. People that have the near death experience. Wow, that. To me, that should fit in. I'm gotten, I've gotten no reports of owls' wow, connection to really near-death experience, which is funny because doesn't it feel like it wants to be connected? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, I but I got, I got no yeah. evidence of it in my files. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, Mike, this has been fantastic. Let's not wait eight years before. Yeah, it. yeah. Where's the best p- place for people to get the book? Are you still on uh, Twitter? Are you on any social media stuff like that? I'm on Twitter. I hardly check it. I'm on Instagram. I, I'm on Facebook. You can find me that any of those places. Tough to connect with me there because I don't check the little feed that has the, the, the messages. The best way to get a hold of me is just through email. That My email contact info is on my website. There's one main website. It's mikeclellan.com. If you type in Owls UFO, you're going to find me right away. You can find the books at um, on Amazon. And the and let me tell you that, so the the, the, the fiction book has been has been really well received really the the reviews on the fiction book are kind of like are i did not expect people to to tap into that book as strongly as they are so so that's been really rewarding and that's that along with my three other owl books are um all on on uh amazon and you can get to any of those if you go to my either my blog which is hidden experience and you can find that by going to mikeclellan.com. That's just like a, a hub that'll take you to these other sites. Great. Thanks, Mike. I'm looking forward to the audiobook. I'm a real audio. Um I love I'm looking forward to it too. It's 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 been slow going, but I'm 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 making my way through it. So yeah, let us know when that's done and we'll both pick it up on Audible for sure. Yeah, Great. Yeah. I sure will. Yeah. The whole world's Mike. gonna know when that's coming out. So Great. yeah. Yeah, yeah Great. and well good on you for narrating it yourself. Oh, I had to. Yeah, it was, Graham's it was my baby. Like a hundred yeah. audiobooks, so he he knows what it's like. Uh, it's tough work. Yeah. Oh, you've narrated them? Yeah, yeah, quite a few. Yeah. Oh wow, yeah, it is not a lot of, of fiction. Work. A few fiction, but not a lot. A lot of nonfiction. So great. Yeah, nonfiction's way easier because you yeah. just sort of rattle it off. Yeah. Oh, and you have to you have to act. You have to do women's voices, and you have to like <laughs> you know get choked up, and you have to like. <laughs> get mad and yell and it's pretty it's not yeah it's like you gotta tap into your inner william shit william shatner and when you yeah do your inner thespian well you're doing a really good job at it you're natural so okay yeah. thank you oh one last thing before we let it go you did mention you loved uh the fiction what's your favorite book what's my favorite book favorite fiction or what's your favorite fiction right now my favorite fiction book ever is the long goodbye by raymond chandler interesting okay. yeah so that's oh, okay. so the I say that so the book my book the fiction book is in two halves basically part one part two, part one is the inner dialogue, like all the mysteries getting set up, the mysteries getting set up, and then part two, is a detective story, which is Raymond Chandler wrote these detective novels in the thirties, forties, and fifties, so part two of the book is, is like a it's Raymond Chandler. Oh wow, did I did I tap into that heavy? <laughs> wow. Well, it looks like you're still keeping on the work. Mike, this has been fantastic. I can't wait to check out that audiobook. We encourage people to check out the book, The Unseen, available on Amazon. Mike, have a great night, and let's not wait eight years to do this again. Let's do yeah, it. Like, thank you. Full. Anytime. Okay. Bye for now. Bye. And that was our chat, Mike Cleland. I mean, the dude I remember now, as soon as I heard his voice, I remember all those hidden experience, synchronicity stories, and all that stuff back in the day. Crazy how it comes back, uh, comes back flooding in, eh? Yeah, I think I must listen to close to almost every episode. Yeah, good job, Mike. I'm looking at the, uh, I'm looking at the Amazon and all five star ratings. Fantastic, beauty. Yeah, I like it. Well, big thanks to Mike for coming on the show. Big thanks to you guys for listening. Even bigger thanks if you're one of the rare few who choose to support our great work over here. 
or magnum opus, head over to grimerica.ca slash support today. If you want to sign up for a monthly, make a one-time donation, spam gram, tell them, you know, who you like, who you don't, what kind of interviews we should do more of, who you want to have on the show, let us know. Send in your synchronicities like you used to, and I'll tell you how terrible they are or how great they are. I mean, just make them good. Don't send me in the crappy ones. Some of them are pretty lame. But uh, there are some great ones, too. I mean, we've given out tens on this show. Eights, nines. See what you can get. Uh, spam gram. Check out the other podcast, Grammarica Outlawed, for controversial stuff, the more conspiratorial, maybe even political. Uh, adultbrain.ca for all the audiobooks we do. Um, we'll be switching up this week to uh, new three new free books for next month. And uh, anything else, Graham? Am I missing anything? I think that's about it. I think that's about it. Uh, we love you guys. Three, Thanks for listening. Two, and we will three, see you next two. week. You fussy, you fighting when you come around. Won't be enough. Come on and get me. I'm homesick. And I'm bored.
Yeah. 